This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Jetson's there, Billy did. The goal, Chris Billy Huddersfield Town. The most famous goal of Chris Billy's life. Is this the moment for Lee Fowler? It is. Take your place in Division 2. Huddersfield Town. Thank you. Champion Steve Simonson's boots now. He's missed. Steve Simonson. Clears the frame of the goal and collapses in a heap of tears. Huddersfield Town are promoted. Christopher Schindler has a chance to write his name in Huddersfield Town legend. Right, good evening everyone and welcome to the Andy Takes That Chance and Utabia Terrier crossover season review episode. Representing Utabia Terrier, we have the Avion journalist Stephen Chicken and David Hartrick. Hello. Hello everyone. Okay, representing BBC West Yorkshire Sport, we have ex-town keeper Matt Glennon. Good evening. And finally, representing Andy Takes That Chance, we have myself, Matt Shaw, we've got the warm-up host down here, Brady Frost. Uh, the Skybet commentator, Richard Cosy kuzmala Southstand Ogre, Dan Porritt. Uh, the best keeper to come through Towns Academy in Phil Senior. And uh, Johnny Gillespie's over here as well. As well. So, g- I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, Johnny's over there. You didn't join the group, yeah. Johnny. Uh, and also Johnny's here. <laughs> you never joined the group. Okay. Uh, so, first of all, thanks to everyone for coming down. We've shifted 59 tickets. 59. 59. I know. I know we needed free. 10 more. I know. It would have been nice. At first, <laughs> at first, I was a little bit worried we'd be full of bragging Nottingham Forest fans because they couldn't get into the Forest Ramble end of season do. But, you know, <laughs> thankfully we're, we're here. But 59, that's like 250 if you're Bradford City. So that's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> so, 
Oh, good. Right, so the purpose of tonight is we're going to talk about the season itself. We're going to invite some of these guys over to uh, chat about certain sections. And we're going to break it down a little bit by talking about certain players at certain points throughout the season rather than just recalling events as and when they happen. So, um, so stay disciplined, everyone. Yeah. No exactly. tangents tonight. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we'll start in the summer. So we'll, we'll roll to the summer, guys. So... Um, hardly anyone really was we're going to look at some uh, Matt's really really keen to look back at you at this sort of role of dishonour that we've got for our season predictions aren't you I'm keen which we'll show at the end yeah you're pretty keen me me and Stephen probably not so much Um, but hardly anyone guys was looking forward to this season at all really were they you sort of cast your mind back and um, Carlos was under a little bit of pressure three wins in 25 league and cup games in 2021 I think it's a good point, really, to start with Carlos and, and just to sort of discuss, Matt, we can jump straight with you. I can see the microphone moving. Uh, yeah. Just talk how he's turned everything around. You know, the sort of chalk and cheese from last year to this year and how, how phenomenal he's been, really. It's been superb, and I've mentioned it a million times. It's been about recruitment, and we'll see in the role of Dissana later on what I thought about that. And just the, the sort of players he brought in, you know what I mean? They got rid of the trash from this Premier League, which was just robbing a living. Obviously, if he was my own, not the BBC. Uh, yeah, and, and you, you could see people there and it just boils your blood to watch some of those players just, say, turning up on a, a Saturday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, whenever Sky decided the game was going to be, and, and doing nothing. And then they say, me and Phil know my person very well from Halifax. You see Tom Lees, you know I mean, Nichols again. We didn't know loads about him, but you could see straight away just a proper footballer, an honest lad. And you could tell they were going to be more solid. You could tell that... The clean sheets were going to come. They weren't be getting threes and fours every week. You build from that and you've got a chance, half chance of a decent season. Danny Ward came in halfway through, unfit into a Carlos Corbran. Uh, Ex-Bielsa regime training, let's say, because that, that got changed around as well. And injury after injury. And we saw last season. And as long as everyone stayed fit, they made big decisions, which they did with Lee Bromby. It was going to be a better year. I didn't expect third. But I expected a lot better, and I must admit it was a nice, refreshing season. Stephen, Dave, talk about the defence. 71 goals conceded last season. That's you know, the most in the Championship, wasn't it, 2021? Yeah, it was shit. <laughs> um, I think me, me and Steve, before the start of the season, we, our predictions were similar to Matt's, really, in that we both felt defensive recruitments alone would take them safely into mid-table. We were never predicting playoffs in third, were we? No, I thought they were nailed on for 16th. <laughs> I said it all summer, 16th. Yeah, but I think picking... The way they recruited over the summer was really good, but I think adding right at the very end Tom Lees to that mix was just an incredible piece of business when you look back at that, really. Because that really... Tom Lees became the player that I think that defence really cemented itself around and just a brilliant season. And you've got to remember as well, he actually came in because Mighty Person was ill. He'd had no pre-season Tom Lees, came in on the Tuesday night game and a late call and just an ever-present and fantastic Mm. all the way through. So credit to him for obviously not having the the pre-season he would have liked and and doing what he did. If if he'd not come in, if that recruitment wouldn't have been there, who comes onto the pitch to replace Mighty Person late, late notice on a Tuesday night? Are we talking a kid again from the academy? Somebody, you know, I mean, who, who'd gone out on loan afterwards. So, yeah, very important. And, and you mentioned that Carlos changed his trading methods, but he also changed how they defended. Because we always talk about, like... Properly. The, yeah. <laughs> well, we always talk about the defence as though, like, it's just the back line and the keeper. And obviously that was, like, massive this season. That was why they prioritised it in the recruitment. But last year they would that man-to-man thing where they would, you know, if you were Harry Toffolo and your man went across to the other wing, you followed him. And it just didn't work last season. And, and they realised... 
straight away going into the summer right we're going to a zonal system um, you know they're, they're not pressing very much these days they, they, they press the least of anyone in the championship but what they are good at is if the opposition do get the ball and, and come into the box they're, they're not going to score more often than not because that defence will just knock out anything that comes into the box but the recruitment was spot on not not just the, the players who played sort of every game like your Tom Lees Matty Pearson Levi Colwell but also likes of Ollie Turton who who struggled when he first came in but I mean he came in basically to replace D'Amico Dehaney as that backup right back ended up playing a lot of the games and just grew and grew into the season and I think that's again a testament to Carlos Gorbran is practically every player in that squad bar one or two has improved over the course of the season Right we'll talk about players so I mentioned earlier we'll talk about specific players throughout certain points of the season I think the first interesting player to pick up on was a player that we potentially could have lost last summer uh, and that's Lewis O'Brien um, you know, Lewis, you know, in terms of keeping him, uh, it was really sort of, um, I'm trying to get the words out here. Yeah. a boost, yeah. A it was boost, a real boost. A Philip, as Mel Booth a Philip, used to say. A tonic. Yeah, a tonic. yeah a tonic, all, all yeah. Mel's favourites. Um, but yeah, his, his stats this season compared to other championship central midfielders are just absolutely off the scale, aren't they? And it's the ones that you don't particularly look at. So in terms of assists and goals, he perhaps doesn't shine as what a lot of the others do, like John Swift, for example. But if you look at certain things like he's sixth in the championship for shots blocked, first for successful dribbles with 84, the second place was had 32. So he's dribbling 50 more, you know, 52 more over the course of a season. It's phenomenal, yeah. really, for what he does. Um, joint third in total tackles. Um, tenth, tenth for aerial duels. He's, he's smaller than me. <laughs> smaller than Phil. And, you know, I mean, and he's first for the most fouled in the championship as well. And you can start to see first for ball recoveries as well. 326 ball recoveries. Uh, Town's next best was Levi Colwell with 207. So you can see how important he was. Uh, talk about Lewis O'Brien, Matt, and his well, importance. His importance is he drives the ball. Clubs love a player who can pick it up, gains 60 yards, drops a little shoulder. He's got that great centre of gravity where he doesn't get knocked off very much. Obviously, he gets fouled a lot because saying, he does have the ball. You saying a he's lot. got a big ass? What's that? Yes, yeah, so he's got that. Yeah, that thing to, to put it in the way to stop him getting smashed all over. If he could shoot. It'd be 25 million. <laughs> For some reason, he has a mental block, and I don't know. Uh, maybe we need to get in there and better shooting practice with him. But I think he's been, I think he's been phenomenal, especially back end of the season. His energy levels. You're 97 minutes in, and the little nut is still running into the corner to make challenges. I'm knackered, and I'm sat there watching it. You know what I mean? He's thinking that the the way he's driving, how he just constantly wants to win, like most of his teammates now, 99% of them. Again, uh, unlike his teammates the year before. I think it's really Sean. I think it's also worth just going right back to the summer where there was all that noise about the potential transfer to Leeds United. Um, who it turned out could have done with him this season. They've had a terrible one, which I'm sure you're all gutted about. We just like to see local teams do well, don't we? Um, but his attitude throughout that was absolutely brilliant. He came into the team after the COVID absence and it took a, a few few games to get up to speed, but... He never once really missed a beat, and I think that's testament really to his attitude. And just you know, there's he's had what four town managers, uh, Jan Cowley's, yeah, and Carlos, and Carlos, three. You want to count Danny Schofield and Mark Hudson, but all of them he's been the key man. And when you do that from manager to manager to system to system. That proves you've got it. And, and not just doing it in a bad team, but now doing it and being a key player in a good team 
this season, I think, sort of speaks volumes of how valuable he is. He's two players off the ball, and he always has been. He's been the star player since he came into the team in summer 2019. Yeah, I don't want to go slightly off a little bit, but that's where your Carol Eitinger thing, the struggle of people like that. He was in a bad team and looked decent, and now it's a decent team. Couldn't quite get in there because there was no real spot for him, whereas everyone was excited about him coming back. I know we're going to come on to this a bit uh, later on, but Lewis O'Brien, again, with his head being turned, you're talking tripling, quadrupling your money. You ain't going off to a team in the Premier League. We saw when Josh Cromer had a little bit of interest. He was the invisible man for about three months. You know what I mean? Some people just can't seem to get past it. Well, Lewis O'Brien has just carried on regardless. So Lewis O'Brien was my vote for the Huddersfield Town Player of the Season. Um, I just thought it was phenomenal. Wow. The whole way, the whole way through. That, uh, that, he's, not even, he's not even in top two. Um, I'm going to disagree yeah, with that, third. Mr. Glenn. Huh? I'm going to disagree. I've but got we, we obviously have our to be fair, I know your Wi-Fi is not the best because I've done the thing with you, so you might not <laughs> pick up some of the games. So we're going to have um, some awards throughout this as well. So we're going to have a couple of different awards that you've seen the video for uh, just before as well. So the first one really is about the signing of the season award, which uh, Mr. Chicken is going to uh, reveal shortly. But just have a chat, guys, about the pre-season signings themselves because, again, we, we mentioned it briefly, but... They were, without being unkind, I think probably a lot of Huddersfield fans felt a little bit underwhelmed. Would be that be a second choice goalkeeper from MK Dons? Yeah, who's yeah. not going to feel underwhelmed because nobody knows the real stories. You know, what I mean, yeah. keepers fall out with keeper coaches, managers. Did it a couple of times myself. Not going to mention Lee Clark. Fucking can't stand him. <laughs> no, but you know, what I mean, is is things happen behind the scenes. He might have asked for too much money. You know, he might not have gone where he needed to go. So, him being on the bench, at MK Dons against some kid doesn't mean he wasn't a good goalkeeper we just we just looked at it for the barefaced thing that it was and he's coming and showed he is actually an exceptional goalkeeper we, we knew about Tom Lees we knew about Mike Pearce in the championship I think he is the one they've plucked from obscurity who has been the, the top man this is it when you run through the list of signings so it was Colwell it was Pearson uh, Rhodes Lees uh, Meepo um, LAUGHTER who else was there? there was, Ruffles, Sinani. Yeah, Ruffles, Turton, Sinani. Every single one of them, except Meepo, made a big contribution at various points of the season. And this is the benefit, again, of having a, like, this super coach. And we had the doubts about Carlos last summer, but the, the, the reason that they appointed Carlos Gorbrand was you can go and get an Ollie Turton, a Josh Ruffles, uh, and, uh, who had you know, never really played championship football before and go, do you know what, he'll make them good enough to do it. And they've got the work ethic to do it. And they really... Um, They've really put a premium on hard work and good characters. Yeah, I think the other side of it, take individuals out of it, I think the way they did their business last summer, because there'd been a lot of talk out of the club that the previous season, a lot of it being down to Carlos not having a full pre-season and all this sort of thing. So they, they backed it up and they got a lot of business done early. They got a group together early and it paid off. They started the season slowly because they completely changed their system and they changed their... Slightly changed their philosophy. Like Steve mentioned, they changed the way they were defending. That takes a bit of time. But having that work done early made such a difference. And the fitness this season was phenomenal, really. That was a, a real benchmark of, of town this season. So I think it's twofold, not just the individuals. It's how they went about it as well. Fitness, that, that was fitness without being obsessed with fitness, I think you'd say. Because I said talking about the, the fellas over the road who obviously he, he lost his job because... The way he did things in the end, Carlos. The best thing about Carlos Corbran is adaptable. Yeah. He's adaptable. He's not saying this is me. I'm four four two. I'm never going to go away from it. If you want, sack me. If that's what you want me to change from, he changed every week. He changed his training. He didn't have a massive ego 
where he said, no, this is how I'm going to do things. He did it as a team behind the scenes as well. And I said, again, he's got to take great credit for that as well. One, one, one final thing I think on the recruitment is they looked specifically looked for players that had played a lot of minutes last season. So it's like, well, we're better off having a player that's played 2,000, 3,000 minutes in League One than having a player who's played 300 minutes in the Championship who on paper might be a better player, but we don't know if they can handle you know, coming into the, the Corbran regime who, you know, it's the, the training workload is lower now, but it's still quite high in relative terms. So they needed to make sure they had players that could handle that. And I think that was a, a smart move. Right, we'll do our first award. And just to, just to let you know as well, we'll have a Q&A at the end. So you can ask Matt what went on with him and Lee Clark, if you like, and whether he thinks Carlos Corbran is better than Marcelo Bielsa, which is what I gathered from that last little bit there. So there we go. So the first one is the signing of the season, and it'll be read by Mr. Stephen Chicken. Right then. Uh, right. The Fraser Campbell penguin biscuit joke is the first thing on this. Thank you, Matt. Why did Stephen Chicken get waved through luggage control? Because he only had a carry-on. <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Nominees are, it's all in the delivery, nominees are Lee Nichols from MK Dons, Levi Colwell from Chelsea, Tom Lees from Sheffield Wednesday, Matty Pearson from Luton Town, John Russell from Chelsea, Ollie Turton from Blackpool, or Danelle Sonani from Norwich City. And in ascending order, Levi Colwell came third, Tom Lees came second, and I think you know the winner was, was Lee Nichols, uh, 73% of the vote, exactly the same as he got for the Player of the Year vote, so no surprise there. There you go. There we go. So Lee Nichols. I know it's he gets a round of applause and he's not here. And when we came up on stage, now I think that's for the useless. joke. To be honest, <laughs> I wrote that joke myself, as you can tell. Uh, right, guys. Well, uh, we're going to bring Pozzer up now. So Pozzer's going to take over some of my talking duties. So you can boo him on if you like, or cheer him on, whatever you want to do. He's going down there. He's going to. Yeah. Right guys, so we're going to move on to the season We're going to talk about um, August and September uh, And a couple of things there And Covid in particular seemed to uh, Throw a little bit of a spanner in the work, Dave You know, you've had a, a joust with the thing It's yourself, haven't you? So Covid really sort of made a, a bit of an issue With likes of Josh Ruffles, Josh Caroma uh, Carlos got it and missed the first game of the season at Derby, didn't he? So take us through that in particular And uh, the start from there Well... <laughs> The game against Derby was almost a write-off because of the nature of the COVID dropouts. But then the Fulham game that followed, I think a lot of people walked out of that game very worried. And I think justifiably so. You could see that Town were trying to do things differently. But to get hammered like that, at the time, I think a bit of context as well. We knew Fulham were going to be good, but we didn't know they were going to be as good as they were, which was just half a Premier League team in the Championship, basically. And that period, it was a little bit unsettled, but the whole season really turned on an own goal against Preston. And that really was the sliding doors moment. And Town had been lousy in that game, but they got that. Was it Sepp van der Berg got the own yep. goal? When, and that goal seemed to change everything. It lifted the mood for the last sort of 10 minutes of that game. And they just kicked on from there. It was like they just had to get some sort of result as quickly as possible and push on. And they were fantastic from there. But the thing about COVID was I think they were, they were quite lucky because I think there was, there was one player, B-team player, Danny Grant, who suffered quite a bit with it and took a while to come back. But thankfully, they didn't have too many who suffered longer term with it. Well, 
tough, tough fellow got it, and Silver Thomas got his chance. Would he have been given his chance straight away? No, he wouldn't. No. And that's it. He had to play him, and yeah, the three I mean, was, was out as well. It was it was Nichols, O'Brien, Ruffles, yeah. and Toffel over the four. And pre-season, Sober Thomas had been given a chance, but he played everywhere. He played left back, right back. He played Fleet both Wood. wings. He played as a number ten in a half in the away at Southport. Was it? He played everywhere. Yeah, and, and I think that that Fulham game, you know, it was Derby was difficult to judge because it was like we don't know how good Derby are or not because um, we knew they'd had the points deduction, but it was like mm, how, how how actually good are they? But Fulham, we knew they're a good team, but I don't mind saying I absolutely I absolutely slaughtered Town and particularly Carlos Gorbrand after that game because it, it really felt like a hangover from last season. It was like God, they've made all these defensive sign-ins and nothing's changed. They've lost. 5-1 and it was first game with all the fans back yeah, in yeah it, it was, was yeah which yeah. you forget so you know it was but as you say that, that Preston game they then went into that game and it was that was one of those games this season there were a few this season particularly towards the end where it's like the result is all that matters here and that that game was dreadful that was a awful was freezing game as well. yeah. awful game but it, they got the result and everyone was happy yeah, I remember that Preston game. We were—I actually went because it to sit with that one, didn't we? We were in uh, in one of the executive boxes. Look at us being all fancy, and uh, the mood in that box that night were just—it were awful, wasn't it? Because it was just like it's another going to be another season of struggle. And like you said, that we got the the look of the green with the own goal. Um, I don't think we actually had a shot on target ourselves <laughs> no, in that they match. Didn't. Um, so to come off, you know, one 0 winners after that, you know, dreadful result against Fulham, kind of like you say, give us a little bit of a boost. Um, just going back to the to the Fulham game, obviously the result were awful, but the the mistake from Ryan Schofield early doors, you, you sat there thinking, you know, is this going to be a sign of things to come? And mistake from Sober Thomas, you mean the back yeah, pass? Absolutely, yeah. sorry, pass. Yeah. I know which yeah, one you mean. Didn't now. help there, did it, To be fair, um, but yeah, to come back and get an actual win against against Preston just just lifted that mood a, a little bit, and I think the the following games were it Sheffield United, Sheffield United, um, yeah. We, we went into that and, and got a late winner there, and that kind of kickstarted a season. Yeah, and then it was Everton after that. I'm jumping ahead, Matt, by the way, but uh, no, I mean Sheffield United, a bit of luck on that because they conceded that late equaliser, and then Sheffield United decided that they couldn't be bothered defending they second balls. They didn't have a shot so. for 76 minutes in that but, game, but that and it didn't matter. You won two one injury <laughs> time. Well, that, that was a very intentional game plan, I think, because that all pivoted around. They basically, Carlos was like, right, we don't have Harry Toffolo. We're going to struggle there. Let's just keep it tight, 3-5-2, um, and just stop them from scoring. And then when we got Toffolo on, we'll change the shape and we'll, we'll go for it. And that's exactly what they did. And they scored basically as soon as they changed. Um, so I think, again, that was a real um, feather in Carlos Gorbrandt's cap this season was, again, as you mentioned, Matt, being adaptable and seeing what the right game plan for each each game was and you know Sheffield United was sort of the first indication of that I think that, that were a funny one though because even what I mean I didn't go I watched it online and obviously follow comments on Twitter and stuff and uh, Carbrand came in for quite a lot of stick for that sort of negative approach but I remember thinking no he's, he's, he's played it really well there Sheffield United are obviously on paper you know probably a better team than us like, let's see what they've got for 70 odd minutes and then you know if we're still in the game which obviously we were let, let's put on a bit more of an attack in front and, and go for it and I think as you say he called that right and I think even after that I think it were a case of fans had a little bit more confidence in him that he had more than the sort of one trick pony like you know it gets compared to BL so we can only play one way that to me showed that actually we, we can play different ways to suit the opposition. But the, the game after that was the one that I really thought was like, oh, actually there might be a decent team here who can play a bit, was Everton. when um, and, and I know they ended up losing that game, but for a large, large portion of that game, Town looked the better team. And we know that Everton obviously ended up struggling in the end, but at the time Everton were actually on quite good form. 
So, you know, for them to go into that game and give a Premier League team a really, really good game, uh, I think that was the start where you thought things are very much on the upturn here. Yeah, we both came out of that Everton game pretty excited about Danel Sonani and um, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, and then, of course, after Everton, they then go and beat Reading 4-0. And that's when you're like, right, we're off to the races here. Everything's going to be absolutely fine. Yeah, that 4-0 game was really the sort of maybe the first standout moment. I know Sauber Thomas did really well, didn't he, against Derby, where he was, he, uh, he was up against Nathan Byrne. And Nathan Byrne's a really good fullback at championship level. And Sauber absolutely skinned him several times over. And we're going to talk about Sauber because this is the game where he really came to life, isn't it, against Reading with the goal as well. And he really sort of ran them ragged that day. And Poz has even written down a few stats. He had a few last, little bit of a last-minute scribble, didn't you, mate? Yeah, you might notice we were all doing our own work <laughs> at the front. We're extremely well-prepared and professional. Yeah, Poz is going to take us in. So, yeah, Stephen's here with a laptop with about 85 different tabs on and I've written mine on a receipt that I got earlier. So, yeah, I think, like you say, Matt, it was were the first time we sort of really took notice of Sauber Thomas. I remember going to Southport in pre-season and seeing him play there and I thought he looked good. He were, he were wanting to get in the ball and, and get a defenders. And some we'd, we'd probably lacked at the time that sort of player for a while who actively just turns and, and goes at players. Um, so to see him kick on and, and play... Uh, we played 43 league games last season with 42 starts, which, you know, in a hectic schedule is is really good. Um, he played 51 games all all throughout, three goals and, and 12 assists, which from a winger, you know, your assist is, you know, what you're there to do in it. So for 12 assists, obviously set pieces improved massively, you know, through Thomas. And yeah, he's he's just he's just a good player, isn't he? He just, he just enjoys what he does. He plays with a smile on his face and... You know, from where he was 18 <laughs> months ago, playing at Boreham Wood to now potentially playing well, the in the thing is, though, Buzz, what he is, is when he's having a bad day, he still runs himself into the ground. But you can, st- you can still do something to influence the, ma- the match and influence what's going on, on on the pitch. You don't just think, I'm having a bad day today. We saw, <laughs> dear Carby, sorry to bring it up. You saw people <laughs> like that. If they weren't having a good day, they just stood there looking at the birdies going... Did he ever oh, have a good day? Yeah, yeah, with a good game. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people like that. But... But he still, yeah, I know, yeah. But he's still, well, a good minute. We want it in here and there. So, but he still runs and runs and runs and closes people down and makes a use of himself. Uh, I think he thinks he's a little bit tougher than he is sometimes when he squares up to some of the big lads. But you know what I mean? Get stuck in there. He just enjoys playing football, sorry, David. Yeah. He just enjoys playing football, doesn't he? He's like a kid on a Sunday morning. You know, he just loves to be there and he, he just enjoys every moment he's on that pitch. And yeah. we'll see when it's fifty-five that's degrees that's in November. Good. See how much he likes it then. <laughs> I think. One of the things about Sorber Thomas, it is worth mentioning though, is they put a hell of a lot of work into him for six months before that pre-season because, and Matt, you'll understand the importance of this, he had to learn how to be a professional footballer. You'll all have heard the story that, you know, they had to sort of quietly put a hand on his shoulder and say, don't have a full fat Coke and order a Domino's Sorber, this is not what professional footballers do. And that is a process, you have to learn that. And he came in early for pre-season. But last season, me and Steve were really impressed with him because we were there for games behind closed doors and Sorba was always there and he was always watching the warm-ups. He was, I think he was 18th man basically half yeah. the time, so he wasn't involved in the warm-ups. He was always watching, he was always talking to coaches, he was always talking to people about what was going on. And we both said in the summer, here's a lad who looks like he's going to come in with a bit between his teeth and lo and behold, got a chance and did he take it? <laughs> Just to shout out the name of the podcast there almost. Um, but no, I mean, I think Sorber also shows that like if you've got... The Cowleys always used to talk about super strengths. That was sort of their analyst term. And Sorber's got... that. His set pieces are just like 
unbelievable. They are like almost world-class standard set pieces that he's putting in. Even, I noticed on Twitter, even the Wales fans yesterday were going, why isn't Sorba taking corners? So they, they've cottoned on quickly. And like, I think the last time I saw a player who had that sort of level of quality in like one specific thing at this level was, was probably Kieran Trippier when he was playing for Burnley. His crossing was just exceptional. And, and Sorba's got the same thing from dead balls. And in this division, that can take you so, so far. But you're right, I mean, his attitude, I mean... I remember there was no, there was almost nothing good about that seven nil against Norwich the, the season before. He was him, him and Scott High were the two who came off the bench and actually looked interested and actually tried to do something. Um, and and he continued that on. And that that Reading performance is the the I think from speaking to Mel the only time in the last seventeen years we've given a ten out of ten in the examiner because after about seventy five minutes it's like I, c- I can't justify giving him less. Yeah, Mel's scores don't really reflect what happens on the pitch. <laughs> just so, just Mel, like Mel, you know, Phil, Phil will tell you that as well. He's yeah, tap the ducks ass is Mel with his with his scores. I know. Well, I don't think I'm popular with with a certain captain, but there we go. No, it's make friends, Stephen. Yeah, so we'll come on to our next award, which we've got for the low point of the season. So, sorry, pause. It's probably the first time you've all heard pause if you actually listen to our podcast, isn't it? Because usually you have some audio issues, don't you? <laughs> right, pause. So we've got, yeah, the low point of the season. Let's get it out of the way early. So nominations are the obviously the playoff final defeat. Um, the FA Cup defeat to Nottingham Forest. A recurring theme here, Matt. Forest. Uh, opening game and obviously losing 5-1 to Fulham. Uh, Bournemouth home defeat to quell any automatic hopes. Um, and the West Brom comeback, including the penalty decision. Yeah, any more that we could add to that? Anyone? Jow out? Other than tonight? <laughs> yeah, that's number six. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good because that means we've not had that many low points then. So, in reverse order, number three was the West Brom comeback. Number two, the opening home game, losing uh, 5-1 to Fulham. And the winner, for want of a better phrase, is the uh, playoff final defeat to Nottingham Forest. So, low point of the season, losing to Forest in the final. Shock. There you go. Cheers, boss. Right, we're going to move that on. So, there's no round of applause for the low point, is there? (laughs) Can we have a a smattering of Jed Spence booze? Thank you. It's just pantomime, wasn't it? It It was panto, yeah, it was nothing. Right, okay, so uh, up next for Takes That Chance is the uh, best goalkeeper to come out of Kirk Burton. It is Phil Senior. Kirk Eaton. Kirk Eaton, sorry. It all merges for me. They're all Kirks, aren't they? <laughs> like, same difference. <laughs> there's a Star Trek joke coming, isn't there? I can see it. Well, right. there's, there's George Kirk, there's James. Anyway. Right, so October, November, saw so a bit of a blip, didn't it, on the, on the horizon there. I think this is where town really had their first and... And only blip as everyone scrambles to have a look at the fixtures on Stephen's uh, laptop there. Um, the West Brom game, though, showed that we could be decent. There was a really yeah, good performance. That, it was disappointing. Obviously, Azrin could actually announce himself that day as well. Uh, the ball was cleared off, cleared off the line off Mr. Old Head on a Stick there, who, who scored the, I think it was the equaliser for West Brom when he came on as well. Remind me of Carol. Was that that game we're talking? No, we're talking the first game, aren't we? Yeah, the 1 0. Switch on, carry on. <laughs> Cut that, cut that, cut that, cut that, cut that. But, um, sorry, where are we? October? Yeah, October, November. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that was... 
that was a bit of a, that was sort of the tricky run of the season wasn't it that sort of October November they had a run that was their only win in seven at, at that point um, well including a couple of games that, that came after and that was you know that had a couple of, of sticky games in there they'd lost 3-0 away to Bournemouth um, they'd drawn 0-0 at home to Birmingham they'd had that game against Peterborough away to Peterborough where they conceded that late equaliser um, and they lost to Cardiff having been ahead they then lost 2-1 um, to a, a last minute goal so you know it was starting to and, and the football was quite dull was the other thing you know that was the other complaint and that West Brom game sort of rescued that run because I think if they, if they hadn't had that result in there because there were a couple of games that you know they lost to QPR after that um, and then they had that absolute horror show against Middlesbrough which is one of the worst performances of the whole season so you know it was a, a sticky run and I think if they hadn't had that win against West Brom who were good at that point um, it, it really would have felt like, oh God, the wheels are coming off the season again, as they did last year. Yeah, I, me and Matt can't remember anything about the West Brom game, apparently, because we've been trying to remember it. Is it the one where they really dug in and won one? Yeah, Sonani scored early. I, I didn't. I wasn't at the game. And it, I remember yeah. it. Sonani scored early, and yeah. then they dug in and got the one 0 I do remember it now. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> Danel Sonani, by the way, either scored in the first 15 minutes or did nothing, didn't he? <laughs> it's a really weird, really weird pattern. I think that sums up kind of the season, though, because going back to what Matty said at the start, the, the kind of characters that Carlos brought in to go through sticky patches like that. You never thought it was going to last, do. did you? You never thought it was going to last, the no, sticky no, patch? No, no, no. And, and whereas the season before that, we, we was all concerned because it was like, when's this going to finish? You know, where, where, where are we going to end? And this year, you kind of had a sense of we've got some players here who have got a little bit of grit and they're going to work through this and obviously they did um, but again it's we, we talk about it all the time in the pod and, and sometimes you get a little bit down about it and some performances but this year was a lot different uh, and there was a lot more optimism through the kind of hard work and, and the way they bounced back throughout the year and also I think as well the fact that they didn't always listen to what Carlos said and that's no disrespect to Carlos but I say I talked about Matty Pearce to people like Tom Lees sometimes just put the foot through it you know Matty would find the stand on a regular basis but you know what the year before when you've got your your Keos and, and people like that Agustermans who again good players had good careers but overplay overplay always looking for the perfect pass always looking to play out from defence would never just go right apologies fuck it and just get rid of it and that was it and sometimes you, you have to do that in a game that's how good you are the best players in the world sometimes they'll just put the foot through it and try and find a corner to, be, to turn a team and they never did that the year before just, uh, don't, just don't, tell don't. me next time Max I've got a bit of a oh you got a press button I've oh got, sorry I've buddy yeah. A, uh, yeah. Can, I can beep but, it yeah. he's twice um, since they didn't do a beeping when he did it don't, don't you think Richard Keogh looks like if you surprised Matt <laughs> <laughs> like if you jumped out of cupboard he'd go that's Richard Keogh he's got thicker hair than me <laughs> Did you see him singing at that wedding recently, by the way? <laughs> Bloody hell. I've never heard worse singing in my life. But it, no. was, it was like the actual singer was being attacked. <laughs> By a set of jumping out of cupboard. Um, but, I mean, I, I think, though, I think people did get worried, though, around that phase because they then went to Barnsley and they had that draw against Coventry as well where they got battered for about an hour and, some, you know, Lee Nichols really pulled them out of the fire and I know we're coming on to that in a moment, Matt. But, you know, I think people were starting to get w worried in that run, particularly after that Barnsley game. Um, there was and, a smattering of booze, remember? Yeah, there were, and because Lewis had his little had a little hissy fit after the game, didn't they? Mm. And 
like, it's funny because those two draws against Barnsley and Coventry then turned into that, were then the start of that massive unbeaten run. It sort of pivoted around that. It was but, but as a fan base, for us at the time, you can understand why fans are getting frustrated because we've had so many years, well, so many years, it sounds really bad, but since the Premiership, where it's not been great and, and your frustrations are there and, and, and obviously as it comes back again, you, you do start to worry. And, and I've talked about this all the time. Matt is, obviously, we've been on the pitch, we've seen the fans uh, on the side of the field and, you know, that, that kind of enthusiasm from the fans and getting behind the team, even in your darkest hours, you still need it. And now I'm a fan and, and I'm on the side of you guys and I'm sat watching and I feel exactly the same now. And as a player, you see it differently, as fans, you see it differently, but fortunately, they came through the other side. But just going back to what you said, Matty, um, I think if I'm right in saying... Uh, from somebody inside the club, what what happened? Well, they had a they had a big discussion inside the changing room about training, about the way they were playing, and, and Carlos took all that information on. So you're right earlier what you said, and I think it was really beneficial. The players that came in were the right kind of people, and and obviously you can see you know the way that it's panned out this season. It, it's when, made when a you have an injury record like that, you, you, if you don't address it, then you're dead. Yeah. As simple as that. You've got no chance of going anywhere in your coaching career. You can't have them sort of stats. You got some Wenger went through the same sort of thing. Bielsa went through a ridiculous thing like that people refuse to change and then they disappear you've got to be um, yeah. you've got to be a strong coach because when we were at Halifax together me and Matty Matty used to go into Gaffer all the time and say I think we need a night out <laughs> I think I think we need a few beers after game and, and he took it on board and we were fantastic weren't we? from right away, so there you go yeah but, happy days don't remember it but yeah apparently we were good I think it I think it sort of speaks to a bit of maturity both with like the, the setup, you know, Lee Bromby, Carl Scorbrand, his coaching staff, but also the players as well, that they've got a group of players who can go and have those discussions like adults rather than spitting their dummies out and going, ah, oh, fuck this, I'm going to half arse Button, the the again, where's the button? He's just swore again. Yeah. Thank you. My God. This. There you go, thank you. The, the other thing Double about, standards. The other thing about that Barnsley game is I think the fans got disgruntled. <laughs> Is Barnsley a swear word now? Oh, this is what Dave says before every podcast recording, by the way. Well, what actually happens is Steve goes to start the recording and Steve is quite professional and he likes to be all set and ready. And the minute he says hello and welcome to to be a terrier, I immediately shout, funny hair. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Anyway, but that Barnsley game, I think the frustration with the Barnsley game more than anything else was for half an hour in the first half, they were actually really good. And they scored the goal and then they dropped deep and they retreated instead of pushing on when they were on top of the game. And they let Barnsley get back into it and then second half, they really struggled. So you, it was a worry at the time. It's not like it was completely unfounded or anything like that. Then the Coventry game, they were very lucky to get that draw out of that game, to be fair. They should have scored last minute. Yeah. 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 But like Steve says, it, it's football. It, those two draws then kick off into the huge unbeaten run and the season's turn. Yeah, so two key players at this time. So we're going to turn it back over to players. And, and one player in particular that you two guys played for found himself as a surprise top scorer, uh, didn't he? Sort of end of October, start of November. And that was Matty Pearson. So we'll talk about Matty Pearson and the importance of Lee Nichols because I think this is the first time he got the first player of the month, didn't he? The Blue and White Foundation yeah, I think so, yeah. player of the month. So I think at this point, Matty Pearson's your top scorer. You know, he's, he, you know he'll head bricks. You know, he's, he's an absolute... He's the angriest man in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, he, lo- he looks at you and you'll just empty your pockets and give him your wallet. And he's, say, yeah, that's fair enough. But he's the nicest, loveliest lad you'll have meet in the world. But you could honestly, you could hit him with, you could put a, a cannonball inside the ball and he'll still head it. 
and then he'll blame you if it doesn't go far enough. You know what I mean? He is, but he is such a genuine. And when, like me and Phil spoke when he turned up, I said, "Bloody hell, mighty person's coming." Because Halifax sometimes, not funny. He couldn't pass water. You know, what I mean? he was, he just wasn't quite there. But he's developed again. He's worked hard. He's gone to Luton. He's gone to Barnsley. Accrington loved him as well. Did really well. Accrington. Uh, speak to fans there. And yeah, you just, he was just something that, that was missing from the squad. Him and, well, Lena Cousin, and we're going to talk Lees as well in a minute. But they were just missing that real character that just didn't care. What wasn't his nickname at Halifax, Mr. Angry? Did I hear? It, it, just to echo what, yeah, it was. Just to echo what I, I, I said. Sorry, just before, I love that nickname because that is designed to be like, if he doesn't like it, he's going to get angry. And then you can go, well, that's why you're called. Well, Mr. Angry. Well, yeah, well, yeah, for a number of reasons, to be honest. He used to growl at people on the pitch, didn't he? He used to growl. Um, but it was one of those people where you knew you could wind him up, throw it in, and you had him. And he'd go off and he'd go crackers. And I'll just talk to Matt there. Um, I've, done it for, I've done it for quite a few players, this Matt. I did it for Alex Smithies. I've done it for, this, uh, for Matty as well. Um, and I remember having a conversation with Matty i never forget it. And he went in and out of team, wasn't he? A few times. He made quite a few mistakes. Like you say, struggled with his passing, kickball out of play. Um, and I remember having a real honest conversation with him. And I says, listen, you're a real good player. Didn't know his background before this. I says, you will make a great living, non-league. Um, and if you get a job along the same side, because football's totally changed now. And, and some lads non-league are earning a lot of money, uh, more so than League Two. And I says, you could do that and you'll have a fantastic career. I says, because unfortunately, mate, I don't think you're going to make it at that top level. <laughs> <laughs> I messaged him after I saw a picture on uh, Instagram from uh, when he was at Disney World. And I just, uh, and I said, listen, I said, I've said a few things about you on, on the pod. Uh, I says, I'll totally take you back. <laughs> don't beat me up. Um, it's embarrassing that you're at Disneyland with your mates, by the way, but we'll, we'll go past that one. Um, but I can't believe how, how well he's done this year. His passing has been unbelievable. He, he spoke to me, he said he's been forced into it. He has to pass well now. Um, pinging the ball into, into the striker. When, when was that ever happening? He, he used to ping it perfectly to well, me on the bench. He into the striker, but it was their striker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but he, yeah, he just had that little bit about him where he's, he's, a, he's a born leader. He, he does get angry. He's aggressive and he will never give up. And I think it's shown alongside Lees this year that that partnership has been absolutely fun. They're not blessed with pace. So if the ball's in behind and they will struggle, but what they've done is they've just defended really well. Uh, one ball's in the air, being aggressive. And I think he's going to learn, Matt, you'll probably agree, he's going to learn a lot from Lees because I think they're very similar players and I think it's going it's to develop Matty uh, a lot more. I think my favourite thing about Matty Pearson is that he left Luton because he uh, didn't like the area, which, bear in mind, he comes from Keithley, kind of puts Luton <laughs> in perspective. But yeah, I mean, and Lee Nichols as well. I mean, I mean, what what can you say about him that hasn't been said at this point? Really, we all know. You know, it's it, when I looked at the stats a couple of years ago. Your average average Championship goalkeeper, you would expect to make three to six errors lead into a goal in a season, and I don't think he's made one, and that is remarkable. Matt, old, what do you say about goalkeepers? How many games do you give them? Six. And then when the adrenaline goes, like, again, he's not here, so I can say it. But Simon Eastwood, great talent. He's done really well in the game. He's carried on, done really well. Went to Blackburn, played against Liverpool in the FA Cup, had this run. But I said, wait till he gets to six games when he realises he's first choice goalkeeper and it all goes to shit. And that's it. And, and 
it, it does because the adrenaline you're not you've still got that you've still got that fear you've still got everything else as a goalkeeper you've still got obviously going through your veins but when you realise you are the first choice every week and it's a different kind of pressure then it's a different kind of mentality different thought process Eastie couldn't do it whereas say Nichols is just the same and it's not all about his shithouser it's not all about his yellow cards and his slowing down it's his talking his positioning on the pitch the fact he helps him out with the crosses the fact he's on the edge of the 18 yard box he he does overplay at times from the back and it, it puts the fear of God into me at times which I know Oggy you know what I mean I have to have the old defib ready for him sometimes at the side because it's just too much at the back but he will go long and you know he throw it out quickly he does mix it up as well there's a lot more to goalkeeping than just making great saves and Nichols seems to have a, a good portion of all of it Do you know what I like about him especially as well I've never once seen him blame anybody else for a mistake I've never once seen him have a go at his centre halves for making a mistake that's what I like him because he's nothing like you so yeah uh... but I mean I, I spoke to, to Clem the goalkeeping coach a couple of weeks ago and well, before the playoff final was and we've <laughs> <laughs> bleeping Clem now oh okay I was going to say what you got against Clem um, no and, and he was you know he was saying when Nichols first came in he gave him a few home truths he said you know you're too fat and fat don't fly and he said that, that Lee Nichols was really receptive to like every, everything um, in, in training and you know you, you can see how much he's, he's come on um, you know just he's, he's a sound guy as well you know I think he's you know he's just been phenomenal uh, not to disagree with you, Matt, but I think I speak for a few people in here when I say, for me, it is all about the shithousery. Uh, <laughs> which, it's, we laugh about it and we write it off. Do you, I'll give you a run-in next time. Um, but to me, it's part of game management. Yes, for and game I, management, I but I'm saying there's more, more to him yeah, than what it's, people it's just think is management. that. The, that ability to take the just take the pressure off just for a few seconds, let everyone reset, let everyone get back in position... That's, it's quite a natural it thing. It's not that's, something that's also a cross. That's also yeah. coming, collecting the ball on the edge of the 18. That's also sweeping up. That, that all those things take the pressure off. It's not just say, not just the, the five minute goal kick, the, yeah. the 10 minute free kick. It's the, it's the all togetherness of it. He never looks in a rush. He never looks flustered. Mm. You turn around, you don't go, oh my God, he looks like he's the most nervous man in the world. He's just chilling. Yeah, he's, the thing is, he manages to look both incredibly chilled and also be an incredibly proactive goalkeeper, which is quite the magic trick, really. But, yeah, what a signing. Right, we're going to move this on to an award now, and Phil's just making sure that he can read the... He's uh, not got his readers on. <laughs> uh, right, so Phil has a, a, a bit of love, don't you, for a particular ex-Huddersfield Town manager who gave him a, a chance in the, uh, in the first-team squad, and he's probably the only person in the world who has an affiliation with Huddersfield, who does, don't you, Phil? So who is that man? Well, I think this is probably one of the best managers we've ever had at the club. Um, so the Phil, Se <laughs> Phil Senior's Mick Wadsworth Tribute Award, Breakthrough. And, and it was fantastic with Mick Wadsworth, I've got to say. Uh, so the nominees are Sauber Thomas, <laughs> uh, John Russell, and Scott High. So let's start from the third place. Scott High. John Russell, so the winner with 78% is Sauber Thomas. Let's give Phil a clap as well, he's well, decent. Yeah, yeah. Right, so up next, is the, uh, <laughs> up next is the tallest man to podcast. We're going to invite Brady up here. Don't a clap, Brady. 
<laughs> what? Right, so we're going to move this on again into uh, around the uh, Christmas period now. So we're looking at December and January. Um, we've already mentioned, Stephen, about the, the little sort of glut of uh, three sort of uninspiring games mm. which led up to uh, a really good run. But Bristol City away seemed to really kickstart the performance levels, didn't it, as well? And that, you know, the 3-2 win there was really pivotal at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, it was a nightmare start. Um, they went behind, I think, in the first minute, first two minutes. Um, Colwell made a mistake, lost the ball, uh, and Bristol City ended up scoring. And in the end, town were really comfortable. They were really good that game. And I think that was, you know, after the run they just had... You, you couldn't, well, you wouldn't have been surprised if they'd lost the composure at going behind so early like that. But that was sort of the, the first time we saw just how calm they are. And that really became a hallmark over the second half of the season. It was whatever was happening in the game, they kept their heads, they stayed on task, and, you know, they, they did their level best to get the job done. And, you know, they ended up winning that game 3 2. And, um, you know, I, th- I think that was, you know, that was the first of three wins in a row. Uh, the first time they'd, they'd won um, for a few weeks. And, you know, as you say, it was, you know, the, the last win was almost a month before that, the West Brom game. So, you know, that, that was a real turning the, the point. Bit, yeah, I think it was a turning point for Colwell as well, because he'd been yeah. caught a couple of times before there. And you thought, this lad needs to realise this is championship football. You're not on the B team at Chelsea or on the training ground. It's... You either do it, you'll get smashed, they'll take the ball off you and they'll put it in the back of the goal because this is, although at times it's not, I'll say it, but it, it is a high-quality league with good players in it. Sometimes it's absolute dog, as we, as we all know at times, but there's very good players in the league who can punish you, they'll score. And he seemed, that seemed to be a little turning point for him yeah. as well, where he suddenly really thought, yeah, I have to get to the ball quicker, I have to make quicker decisions. So it probably helped him making that early mistake as well and showed what a strong character he is. The, the specific thing that he did a lot in the first half of the season, uh, and I thought Levi was great, but the one thing that he did was he would take a heavy touch and then find an attacker was closing him down and he'd dive in to try and like win the ball back. And he got five yellow cards quite soon in the season. And then made that mistake, and then he never did it again. He didn't get a single other booking, and I can't remember him doing it again after that Bristol City game. So, as you say, it was a real learning moment for yeah. him. Yeah. I think they also, this was the time when they also developed the best habit of all, really, which is not playing particularly well and still getting something from the game. Um, you know, that Nottingham Forest game where they were absolutely, but Forest hadn't signed John Moss at that point, but. They, uh, got absolute, they got absolutely peppered in that, came away with the three points. There were other games in that run where they couldn't get into top gear, but they still found a way. And I think that really became the hallmark of the season, really, just finding a way constantly. And they played badly and won. They played well and won. They played badly and drew. It was, it was an incredible run. Me and you were sort of almost running out of good things to say at one point because mm. we didn't it was, re- it was getting harder and harder to but make But it felt really comfortable, didn't it? You didn't feel yeah. nervous. Your but heart wasn't pounding exactly. constantly. And you thought, yeah, it's not going great today, but they're not, they're not going to lose. But they'll get something. I, I, yeah. I think where that sort of started was they'd had the 3-2 against Bristol City. They'd had the 3-2 against Blackpool. And then, to be honest, they rode their luck a lot against Nottingham Forest. You know, the, Forest absolutely battered them, but just couldn't finish it off. Well, that was Nichols' man of the match, wasn't it? one Yeah. But then Got they right. played yes. Blackburn, the first game of the new year. And I thought that that performance defensively was absolutely tremendous and again this is when Blackburn was still good um, and they were one of the best attacking sides in the division at that point and Town 
didn't give them a sniff. It was nil-nil. They weren't great in attack, but defensively, they were just absolutely phenomenal that day. And that was where you thought they've really got the basis for something here because they'd got those, those results, started putting those clean sheets back together. But they were a weird side because they followed that with the away performance at Blackburn where they got the nil-nil, which was a really good defensive performance. And then they basically got into a non-league game with Reading <laughs> yeah. at their place. The worst game of football. <laughs> yeah, I, it, 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 and was, it's one of the worst nights out as well. I'm just going to chuck that in oh, there. Yeah. Yeah. The Reading, Reading is the worst oh away trip of the season. It's I'm awful. from Stockport and that place, bloody <laughs> hell. That gave it a close, close run. But I think, I think that game was nominated for game of the year. Yeah, and to me, that was reach for the bleep button. Absolutely <laughs> shit. <laughs> but um, guys, obviously you're investing neutrals, but as a fan... Like to see Town win three two. You talked about the Bristol yeah. game earlier. To see us score three goals and not lose. Joel Pereira, I'm looking at you. Stoke City four three. Um, must be nice for Town to score three goals. Yeah, he's here. He's in the back. Look you know, see him. Joel Pereira should have got. Six, he should have got six games according to Matt. Six. <laughs> <laughs> would have conceded um, sixty six goals. But as um, invested neutrals, uh, must be good to see Town score three and win. No? Um, yeah, but defensively they were an absolute. Show, um, they, you know, that, that that game they really got surprised because Reading hadn't played a front two all season. So Carlos started a back four, and then lo and behold, Reading decided, no, we are going to play a front two. Um, and, and Harry Toffler was all over the place. He was dreadful in that game. Yeah. Um, but but they again they but, found a way, and that day it was Danny Ward, and that was everybody had a day this season, yeah, didn't they? A, yeah. a day where they were really the one that dragged them over the line and. That day, Wardy was absolutely sensational. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we can talk about Danny Ward now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk before I do. Um, cheers to everyone who's come. Uh, me and Matt were talking about this before. Uh, we weren't expecting this many people, so thank you for coming. Um, I'm, a, I'm getting a little bit nervous, hence why Steve's talking. But um, for me, Danny Ward. Um, Steve, I know you're a big fan. Dave, I know you're a big fan. But this was really his redemption season because I'm a big fan as well. Just so you know, last season uh, had a bad season. All right, all right, Clint. Yeah, you're here. Thought. All right, just because I'm spoiling yeah. you. I'll just live on the end. Um, but he himself said it was a nightmare season last yeah, year. Yeah, no, he you did. Know. Yeah, um, and I, I just, you know, I think we talk about Jordan Rhodes. Jordan Rhodes had his moments in this season, but really this is the point where Danny Ward like he, he made his you know he, he made his mark it, this was a bit of a purple patch this you know yeah. he scored a couple of goals and I think from sort of like December through to sort of maybe February March he was he was just he was at the centre of everything I th- you know I've said this to him personally like I think tactically he was so so important to that attack like when the attack was working it was often because he was was being the fulcrum for everything and it's not an easy job you, you get strikers who are you know your number 10s who will drop deep and link up the play you get strikers who want to get in the box and finish it and particularly in that period he was doing both things like all by himself we talk about Lewis O'Brien being like two players off the ball I think at points this season Danny Ward was like having two players on the ball he was he was sensational at times yeah, uh, my theory on this is it wasn't a redemption season. And I will throw to Matt Glennon here because I prescribed to his theory about why last season was so bad. And that's simply, he wasn't fit at any time. No, no chance. You can't come in to a, a regime of 100% murder ball. They were still playing that ridiculous game and other things in training when you've come from a Warnock team. You know what I mean? It's like, I like a drink, but Warnock was my man for that. You know, you, you're, still, you're, still, you're still playing golf. You're still doing things. Yes, he's, he's had a lot of, of success. Of course he has. He knows how to chuck a team together. But you're not coming in every single day with Ronnie Jepsen and people like that 
and getting worked like you are by Carlos and Danny, Danny Schofield and all the rest of the lads. So he, he comes in, he's probably got a couple more percentages on the old body fat than he'd liked as well when he comes in there because that's the, a slightly different culture. So you come in and suddenly you come in and go, wow, what's just happened there? You go home and, you know, and you're not even making it to three o'clock in the afternoon so you're fast asleep. So he's, he's had a full pre-season, fit as anything. You know what I mean? He's got a fantastic attitude anyway. So club all that together with a great pre-season, that's what you get. And if he stays, if he stays fit in this pre-season as well, then I can't see him being any different this year. And Dave and I get to be very smug because even through that awful season, season before, you know, we looked at his stats when he was at Cardiff and his finishing stats were absolutely, like, they were, they were exceptional. He was, like, second best finisher in the championship. Because that's a different team, though, him. a different team mentality. So yeah. he fit into that. The team have brought him in to a totally different culture. Yeah. Whereas at Cardiff, he fitted in perfectly because he was living the life that a Cardiff player was then. But playing off the bench a lot. And he's, mm. you know, he's coming and finally got that chance to sort of play at the top end of this division and, and lead the line in a good team and, and start games. And, you know, he's waited a long time for that because he started his career as a winger, which I don't think he particularly liked playing. And it's just, you know, it's one of the things I've most enjoyed about this season is just seeing him start to enjoy his football and... And the fans, in particular, the fans coming round on him because, you know, I think he didn't have many admirers 12 months ago and now everyone loves him. So, yeah, lovely stuff to see. Yeah, and obviously we've got Dave, we've got Steve, we've got Matt here for all you know, all the input. But I want to talk about his hairstyles because, you know, he had a big Miami Vice bit at one point. Danny Ward's hairstyles, you know, we got to pay attention because they were great. Yeah, it, we, we were talking before the show. There was a little bit of a Samson effect after he had it cut, wasn't it? Because yeah, yeah. that was sort of the end of his sort of his, his peak of this season. But yeah, but yeah. It's, uh, I always like a player with a headband. I always when he used to make players in Pro Evo, I always used to like a headband. We should really be asking Barry Gibb on the air there, shouldn't we? One of the yeah, BGs yeah. there. I always wanted to be on stage. I always wanted to be on stage. One of the BGs. When when, when, when my wife ask you about it. We, we came and did um, the hundred years of the FA Cup, and Matt was on that, and my wife came and watched it, and she spent. She said to me afterwards, I just couldn't look away from Matt's hairline the entire time he was on screen. So much jealousy. I tell oh, you massively, massive jealousy. I'm off to Massachusetts for it. So guys, you come from the analysis, you come for me to hear shit chat. But anyway, let's talk about the January window, because obviously we brought in uh, Tino Andrin, Carol Lighting. I'm going to be honest, as a fan, me and Tom chatting on the warm-up. Shouts out if you listen to I can't to believe you forgot about Jamal Blackman. Oh, Jamal Blackman. Hey, did a job. Should have signed. Should have signed on. Jamal Blackman should have become like the face of Slimfast because he came in and he was massive. He was like a terrorist. He's in America, house. though, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. In their portions. Yeah, he was at New York's, New York City FC. No, he and was he's like, like LA, well, LAFC. After a month, Town had him, whipped him into yeah. shape. Unbelievably so. He was like a before and after. I mean, Dave, many people go, do you know what? I'm going to leave Los Angeles and I'm going to come to Huddersfield. So it's a, it's a well-trodden path. Is that what uh, the Father John Misty song, Leaving L.A., is about? Uh, that song on, is literally just for you, literally okay, just for you and me, that joke, guys. sorry. But anyway, um, yeah, as a, obviously, as a fan, when we signed Carol back, I was like, oh, we're going to do it. Uh, Tino was really exciting. Uh, I think I said this on the warm-up many a time, but, you know, we spoke to the Chelsea youth guy who rated Colwell in a big way, and he was like, Tino Andrin is the best, best academy player we've ever produced. Clearly wasn't fit. But um, at this point in time, I thought it was going to be. I, yeah. I thought it was going to be the next Izzy Brown. I thought he was going to come in and absolutely rip it up like Izzy Brown did when he came in and and Palmer. It, it, it just didn't happen again. Someone who's coming, not fit at all, and obviously not had the work they needed to on the training ground as well. And it was just a shame we saw a tiny little bit of Coventry for about 15, 20 minutes, 
and Carlos obviously didn't trust him to uh, do anything else. I thought when you're struggling in a playoff final, he might be someone you come on with a bit of magic. But obviously, Carlos thought he's not going to do it. The, the killer for him was that international break because they they were planning to um, to basically get him up to 90 minutes over that break, and he had a I'm not sure of the exact specifics, but he had a setback on his recovery. 15 would have done. International break. Um, so that was. Um, that, that was the end of it, really. You know, he, as you say, he came on against Coventry and had that moment. But, uh, and Carol Lighton as well. You know, I think we were all very excited when he came back. He was exactly the kind of player they needed, that ball player, because Alex Vallejo had gone down injured. Um, and, and then John Russell comes through. Hey, Steve, it's almost as if you're reading the notes because big John Russell is on the next itinerary. Um, BJR. BJR. I mean, Steve, I know you and Dave hate him because he's not that good. <laughs> yeah, famously. But, um, what an impact he's made. I mean, what a player, by the way. Yeah, no, like, Dave and I don't hate him. <laughs> like, That's I not what you said behind the scenes. No, like, I think he's got limitations, but what player in the championship doesn't? You know, Lewis O'Brien can't shoot, and, you know, Harry Toffolo's crossing is a bit poor at times, <laughs> etc. So, you know, he's got, he's got limitations. Every player does, or they'd be playing Premier League. But I think, you know, you've got, you can't say anything on the whole but good things about... John Russell and, and the way he's coming to the team. You just need to shove a rocket up his backside now and again. That, that's yeah. all it yeah. is, yeah. If he, if he could learn to sort of out-sprint a canal barge, he'd be some player. <laughs> and it's, it, the, the problem he's got, he's fantastic on the ball, great eye for a pass. He'll take a man on no problem whatsoever, but he just really needs to work on his, his literally like his first couple of yards because he's just, he's got no explosion to take him away from someone. But... I think it's doable. I think it's gettable. We've seen what yeah. Town do fitness-wise with players and how they change them physically. He's got a whole pre-season this time. Who knows what John Russell is going to be when he starts next season? Yeah, I, I think um, the, other, the other thing he just needs to work on a little bit is that concentration. Um, there's been a, quite a few times where runners will go into the box and they'll, you know, he's just not looked over his shoulder and seen them and they'll just go running in and, and get a shot off and score. You know, it happens. Well, it's like the early, early call that we're talking about. You've yeah. got to learn you've suddenly come into championship but football this, where everything yeah, matters and you've it. just got to get up to speed very quickly, it's, which is it's not easy. But it's fine to have these, these criticisms and things to yeah, work on for a player who's 21 years old and played... 26 games that, of football. That's what we always say on the pod. He's not played anything like the amount of football that you would expect for somebody currently starting in a championship side that were third in the table, lest we forget. I'll give him a know? week in the next season, then I'll start hammering him on the radio. But he's I got a week to get give better. Give him six games. Six but, games. But I also, I also understand why he's so popular, because like he is like the Huddersfield Town fans' dream of what uh, a central midfielder should look like and should do. Like, you... you me and Dave had this conversation, Matt, where it's like, I think he is the player that town fans always wanted Phil Billing to be, but he wasn't, you know, and, and Phil Billing was very good at different things, but, but John Russell is, is, you know, what town fans want for that role. Presence, isn't it? Yeah. With big elbows. Pe- people come near him and he just goes, Poof. Yeah. they can't get him off the ball. It doesn't matter that he's slow because you can't get near him. So are you fans of John Russell? Are we, are we? Oh. Yeah, you admit yeah. Right, we've got five. I've got splinters still. Yeah. Yeah. Right, we'll move on now to uh, another award. So we've had a lot of good moments this season. So uh, best moment of the season, which is going to be read from Brady. And I think Brady will get a few shout-outs as well. For... A few shout-outs? Okay, so best moment of the season. Uh, the nominees are, one, beating Luton in the playoffs. I mean, that was pretty good. Winning uh, Fulham away for the first time since 1992. Fun fact, I wasn't born. Uh, winning away at Middlesbrough for the first time since 1986. Fun fact, I wasn't born. Stephen Chicken doing dizzy penalties. That was a highlight for me. I sent you the video of you doing 
doing Disney Yeah, you Palace. and about 50 other people. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was great, mate. I mean, Thank if you. they want to do Disney penalties, I'd do just as bad. Okay. Uh, so, in uh, reverse order, Steve, Disney penalties was last. I'm sorry. Good. Yep. Uh, winning at Middlesbrough was third. Winning at Fulham, 30%. But obviously, beating Luton in the playoffs, Jordan Rhodes getting the goal. As Richard Cosmala said, Jordan Rhodes, King of Huddersfield. That's As Richard the top prize. said, oh, Jordan Rhodes, King of Huddersfield. <laughs> Love you, Cosy. Right. Uh, big thanks to Brady. Brady obviously does the uh, the host of the warm up. So big thanks to Brady for taking that off me as well. And uh, let's give Brady a round of applause for all the hard work he's put in this year. Who's this? <laughs> no. <laughs> right, okay, so this is uh, Johnny Gillespie. Johnny's quite new to our, our podcast, so this is what Johnny looks like. You've been on the stream a couple of times, haven't you? So uh, we're going to move this on a little bit more now into sort of February and March time. Um, guys, we came up with probably one of the best performances Huddersfield Town have had for a long, long time away at Fulham at Craven Cottage. It's been long, a long time since we won up there. Brady, as he said, wasn't even born. He's rubbing that into yeah, all of us. Yeah, does he mean he wasn't born the last time they won that, or does he mean that he just was never born and was, like, made in a tank? Because either is believable. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Fulham away, uh, fantastic. And we've also, you know, Cardiff as well, the late goals. John Russell, you know, really, sort of, that was yeah. his announcement. No, I think moment, Fulham, Fulham was special because they went with a game plan. Lewis O'Brien pretty much played up front, and he just kept closing them down, closing them down. They couldn't, they couldn't play out from the back. They looked uncomfortable at times as well and again it was one of them games where you think yeah they're having a bit of action and they're getting in there a lot I, I don't remember I don't remember Nichols making tons of saves in that game I think he had a bit of action to do yeah, late 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 on. On. yeah, yeah he had a few late on and things like that but he, again they just looked comfortable Fulham couldn't, couldn't do anything and unfortunately I got caught in Silva's uh, bloody press conference afterwards I went in there to get I'd like to say a banana, but it was another Twix from the from the from the media thing, and they locked the doors. I was like, "Oh shit!" And he come in, and all he complained about, I think there was a penalty, something, there was something else, and I thought, "No, you've been out tactic, you've been outplayed, you've been out everything today by Huddersfield Town, and basically Lewis O'Brien has just absolutely destroyed your play." I had to sit there for 15 minutes. Even Sky, I think Sky turned the TV off because they were that bored of him. And I think that actually showed that on the, they actually showed that on Sky. They just caught the thought. Can't listen to that anymore. I was just going to say, would you would you guys say that was the first time that Huddersfield Town probably got talked about or thought about properly, yeah. seriously about promotion Th that, that game? Yeah, that that was like I think they'd sort of they'd prefigured it. They'd played Sheffield United the week before and they'd done really really well against Sheffield United and you know they got screwed over uh, by the officials with that disallowed goal. Thankfully, that never was, that's never thankfully, happened. Thankfully, that was the last time this season that happened, and now Huddersfield Town are playing Premier League football, but. Um, no, they'd put in a really good performance against Sheffield United, who by this point were good. And, um, you know, they, they, and then they went to Fulham and, you, you know, Fulham were, they, they then went on a bit of a run because they basically had the league title sewn up from about October. And um, they then had a few weird results. But at that point, they looked pretty indomitable. And... It was Mitrovic throwing himself on the floor, wasn't it? That's what it was. Yeah. I remember, yes. But there was, Carry on. There was every, every, um, every player against Fulham at Craven Cottage was, was sensational. Like, I don't think I gave anyone below an eight, being kind. Um, 
And I think, you know, we were talking about afterwards and we were saying, when was the last time Town played that well? And, and we thought it was probably against Chelsea when they stayed up at the end of the, the first Premier League season. Um, that is, since I've taken this job by miles, the best Huddersfield Town performance I've seen. It was so complete. Yeah, I think the other side of it was they then followed it up playing Cardiff, who weren't very good at the time, Birmingham, who weren't very good at the time, Peterborough, who were awful at the time. And, and they just, all the time. And they just tucked them away. Absolute minimum of the first three three. Well, wins. apart from well, Cardiff, they needed. I was that just, last I was just going to well. say, from a town fan perspective, Cardiff for me meant a lot because it was typical town not to come out with three points in that game. And when Cardiff, we did what yeah. we, yeah, the Cardiff game, what we did, what we did, again, pessimistic town fan, but it was a bit like again, sit up and think, actually, something could happen this yeah. season because we don't do that in games. Big John Russell, wasn't it? Last minute, yeah. But um, no, you're right. I mean, I, I think if they had ended up losing or drawing that card, because it's two late goals, wasn't it? So like, I think if they had ended up losing or drawing that Cardiff game, you would have thought they're gonna they're gonna finish eighth. But the fact that they went and won that, and then as you say, went and turned over, you know, two very because that was our big criticism still at that point yeah. was they don't do routine wins. They hadn't had many two nils, and then they had a two nil and a, and a three nil where you know Birmingham and Peterborough didn't lay a glove on them all game. And, and that was when you thought, yeah, as you say, that was when you thought that they are genuine. And there seemed, after the Peterborough game, there seemed to be a little bit of a tide change that a lot of people, a lot of fans that I deal with and speak to, a lot of fans, I think, started to believe at that point, not just me and Steve looking at it and sort of seriously thinking, OK, well, they're definitely going to be in the playoffs. Could it be a little bit more here? But that 3-0 in over Peterborough. Peterborough, were, I mean, they were absolutely woeful on the night, but you can only beat what's in front of you. And Town tucked him away with just the minimum of fuss. And it was a very impressive Friday night on TV. You know, that's what... If you think back to sort of 12 months before that, Town were almost Peterborough. That's, that's the difference. That's the progress over a year. And, and then even when they go to West Brom and they end up drawing two all, they... You know, they had played, they had been the better team for 80 minutes of that game by miles. So, 2 0 up deserved to be, they were cruising. And then that penalty shout goes against them. Uh, an awful, awful decision. Thankfully, that was the last time an awful decision went against Huddersfield Town this season, now playing Premier League football next season. Just but, done that um, joke. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, and then that was maybe the, the one time in this sort of this run where something went against them and they properly lost their heads because they conceded within. What was it? A minute, ninety seconds of that. That, that was the West Brom game in. where Adjuran should have scored yeah, in the last there minute. Is. There he goes. Carol, well, Carol comes on. Dominates. Welcome back to the podcast. Carol comes on. Dominates. He's, he has gone full of fifty million pound over his his lifetime, so he is going to have special moments in his game, front and back. But for eighty minutes, they were fantastic. And let's not forget, West Brom's Albion still have quite a healthy budget and everything there as well. Just unfortunate. Cosy, what, what's your favourite away day? Matt, it's got to be the city ground at Nottingham. Just old school stadium, you're right near the pitch, great atmosphere. But there's nothing like playing at home. Same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. They got Steve Bruce. I got caught in his press conference as well, going back for that banana again. And, uh, and uh, yeah, he was horrendous as well. I don't know how he inspires any, any sort of football team at all. But I thought, I wasn't down hard after that game because they could have nicked it. But you go to West Brom, you draw 2-2 and dominate for 80 minutes. You know, and that's not easy. That's not easy to do. There was a little bit of a hangover after that as well, wasn't that yeah. with that West Brom one? And I think me and you, Stephen, we disagreed slightly, didn't we, on WhatsApp, where I think... 
Johnny's talked about the pessimistic town fan, whereas the optimistic town fan was then going, do you know what? The automatics are you know, creeping up here. Bournemouth aren't that far behind or far ahead. And we came down with a bit of a bump, didn't we? Millwall, that yeah. Millwall game, and then really Bournemouth cool. uh, really put sort of a, a Two, stop to that, that Millwall performance was, yeah, not far off that Borough game for one of the worst performances of the season for me. But they, they just look knackered. You know, I, don't, I think you and I, Dave, we, we sort of, we talked about it and we were like, quite consciously like, we're not going to slaughter them here because they've just come off the back of this massive unbeaten, what was it, 17 in the league, unbeaten? And they just looked absolutely shattered, to be honest. And you could see that they needed that international break. We knew that Bournemouth, they were unlikely to get anything out of that game. I think what we disagreed on, Matt, was you were saying they can push over automatic and Dave and I were going, no, <laughs> no, it's no, not yeah. going to happen. I think the problem with Bournemouth is everybody kept saying they were wobbling, they were wobbling, they were wobbling, but they still had more points than anyone else. And they had games on the board, and it, it, they were never a realistic target, I don't think, for anyone at any point. But well, maybe I think what, a little bit later on. But, but I think what it, it, it did give Town at the time was, was a rabbit to chase, and that was important. That was mentality-wise, that was important. Yeah. But the, the, the Bournemouth game as well, I mean, 76 million quid, that Bournemouth side on the day. You, you can't, like, there, there's not many teams that are going to put Bournemouth to the sword in that division. And I, I mean, I've sort of alluded to it there, but I mean, I've, it's literally just occurred to me that we've breezed this far through the podcast and not even talked about the fact that the 75% owner of the club, his businesses went into administration in November and business just continued as, as normal. You know, I think that, that was a real, that could have been a real, real sticky, turbulent moment for, for most clubs. And, you know, what, whatever your opinion on, on Dean Hoyle is, I think it's, you know, you, thank God that he was, that he was still had that stake in the club and was able to sort of take it back over at that point because I don't think we'd be sitting here talking about a team that finished third um, if he hadn't been there so I think yeah going about what could have been bad moments again with the draw West Brom Millwall and the Bournemouth obviously international break I think there was a few people looking thinking well what's going to come after the international break we're not a, not an easy game away at home people were very nervous going into that yeah game. it was a, it was a game town were attrition do you know what I mean they the defender, well, it wasn't fantastic. I was at the game, but we got, I mean, got the three points and then that led on to a fantastic run, which brought us back into really, at some points, looking potentially uh, uh, contending for second place. I, th I think people were really nervous about that game, specifically because they're just, as you say, they'd had that, that little wobble before the break. And even Carlos Corbran admitted that West Brom game had got to him emotionally. But that whole game as well, when you looked at the fixtures at the time and you were looking at, oh, it's Luton, QPR and Middlesbrough next, it's three six-pointers, they have to beat Hull, otherwise they're you know, potentially going to be out of the promotion race in two weeks. And you could see what it meant to the players as well. Like You could see that the players sort of knew that because the reaction when Toffolo got that goal late on, um, which some very smart people backed at 40-1, to one, um, when he got that goal... You could see the relief, and you could see that they were that the, the players were like, right, thank God, because I think if they hadn't got that goal, I think this season might have ended very differently. You know, just to add on, it's two more dubious penalty decisions that were given. Yeah, and thankfully, those were the last decisions that went against. Sort of, very football this season. I think one thing that's not dubious, Dave, is uh, is how much quality Tom Lees has brought to Huddersfield Town's defence. I think it's fair to say that. If you look back through a lot of people's WhatsApp messages at the end of the season, it was like, oh, what's what's going on here? You know, it wasn't particularly, it wasn't particularly impressive, was it? From from a, a sexy point of view, is what how you what you usually say, isn't it, Dave? But yeah. how good is he? Well, been? he normally says it about you that you're not <laughs> impressive <laughs> from a hair. sexy point yeah. of view. 
the hair, you're like a big sexy lion. Um, yeah, I, I, everything, a lot of what Matt said about Lee Nichols, funnily enough, you can transfer to Tom Lee's. It's being a proactive defender and it's, he's, he's become quite, we, we spoke to Dom Housen when he signed, who's our Sheffield United guy, and he was Wednesday. a Sheffield Wednesday guy, sorry, it's a long night. Um, and he was quite sort of neutral on the signing, but he said Tom Lees is a better player than a lot of people are giving oh, no, credit he, for. He was, he was raving about him. He, he said of well, anyone he in that me. squad, to me, he was saying of anyone in that squad who's going to do well, it's Tom Lees. But his, his ability on the ball, I think, is the thing that not many people were expecting this season. And he's been absolutely brilliant. But it's the calmness. He's become like a clean shorts defender. He's the defender that just deals with things very, very quickly. And you talked about people learning off each other. I think Levi Colwell will have taken an awful lot from playing with Tom Lees oh, this yeah. season. Right, right place at the right time. That's yeah. it. The amount of times he was just there, just like, oh, who's added that? Tom Lees. Who scored that goal? Tom Lees. And just his positioning and his awareness in the game in a very, again, like Nichols, you're saying, in a calm, cool manner. It was just ridiculous at times. He was just, he was just there. I, I'm, I must have mentioned his name like nine times in about three minutes at one point because every single time the ball came in the box, Tom Lee's, Tom Lee's, Tom Lee's, and it, it was getting very repetitive, but in a in a fantastic way. I, th- I think he's sort of the low key player of the season. You know, you talk about what well, above O'Brien. Well, you talk about your Lee Nichols, you talk about your Sorba Thomases, but you know, Tom Lee's three sixteen says he just edited that ball out box. So like he he's been. Yeah, he's been so calm this season and I think he's got the makings of a really good manager because whenever you talk to Tom Lees, and this is what makes him such a good player, I think, is whenever you talk to Tom Lees, he, he, he puts a lot of thought into his answers. He doesn't just come out with football platitudes. He never uses a cliche. He gives you a really thoughtful answer and he's not like a big personality. He's, there's some players who you do an interview and you think, yeah, that was all right. And then you write it down on the page and you go, actually, this is really good stuff. And he's one of those players. He's, he's yeah, really in, impressed with Tom Lees. In contrast, Matty Pearson just says exactly what's in his mind at that moment. <laughs> and that's why we love doing press conferences with him because if something's shit, he will say it's shit. Like Burnley's away support, a home support. Exactly. I mean, Tom, Tom Lees was my vote for uh, player of the season. I think I've looked at it. It's hard because you, one thing I would say, I think two seasons ago, although we had a player of the season, we did, we shouldn't have. Last season, thank God for Johnny Hogg because... Two seasons ago, it was Lewis. Who else? Lewis O'Brien, fair enough. But this season, I think it's probably, the room's probably split. And even if you kind of took out, I mean, the, the big ones, you, you could really go down quite far down that team sheet before you kind of like stop making arguments of players. Yeah, there a are about of, 10. A lot of people I've spoke to about the player of the season have said it's Lee Nichols or it's Sorba Thomas, but really it should be Tom Lees. Yeah, and I think the reason why I'd give it him um, is because, like we alluded to, the way he came in, I mean, his next Wednesday, it's Leeds player who was signed right at the end of the season, right at the end of the pre season, um, didn't get that time on the pitch. And I don't think, I mean, for me, out of all the, I don't like to judge a player before he plays, but out of all the signs, he's probably the, the, the biggest, oh, for me, more than, more than even Nichols, like second choice MK Don's, because he'd just been relegated on Wednesday. I, I didn't think really that much of him, and he didn't seem, he just kind of came into the back door. There was nothing really celebrated about it. He took his chance, and like I say, he never really looked back. And I think he gets, he doesn't get quite get the credit for what we've touched there, like a clean, short defender. He's a clever player. I think he, he probably gets typecast into Johnny because he's a physical guy, he can head the ball, yeah, but he's actually got more than that to his game. And quite, reading, a, yeah. quite a lot of the season, towards the back end of the season, he was actually a bit of a, uh, I mean, an advancing defender. He was, it was on him to play that pass. And when you're looking, you looking in front, 
and you've got people making runs and it, you, you've got to pick out that man he's a centre back and he was asked to do that quite a bit and he did it, he did it quite well and the other reason is there's a picture of him with a, probably his third headbands on his head with his head bleeding from the, like, the elbow from Hugh Gill and the same one that probably knocked him out in the Blackpool game that was never given that never happened another referee decision I think that picture of him and the, do you know I mean, being interviewed by the Sky Sports or HCTV, I'm not sure which one. I think that epitomises the it, season as a whole. Was it, it, it one picture? It was, uh, it was Eleanor because that was where you had the, uh, the, the seven, seven goals, seven clean sheets in five games. Was it yeah. that she said? Brilliant. Anyway. Yeah. So that's that's why I kind of would, would vote him player of the season. Also, going back to the interview, he did give a fantastic interview. Um, after the player final as well, going back to what he said, he talks on the heart and he's obviously, I mean, he does care. I think that's one of the main things that you can say about a lot of talent players this season is that they do, they do care. Okay, we're going to move this on now and we've got the game of the season. So Mr. Hartrick is going to read this one out. There's been, we've been spoiled this season, haven't we, Dave? Yeah, there's been quite a few, to be fair. And the nominees are Towns 4-0 win over Reading. Towns 3-2 win over Blackburn. Towns non-league 4-3 win over Reading. Towns 2-1 win at Fulham. And Town 1-0 against Luton in the playoffs. Uh, Voters added in Blackpool at home, Cardiff at home, Borough away and Sheffield United away. The winner is in reverse order. Town 1, Luton 0 was third. Second was Town 3, Blackburn 2. And first was, of course, Towns 2-1 win at Fulham. And rightly so, I think. Right, and I think this one, this one here is going to be a foregone conclusion as well. We've got Johnny to read out the uh, shithouse of the season. Yes, so again, I mean, we probably can all guess this, but the nominees are Lee Nichols for That Wink, and also is Housery versus Blackburn. Lewis O'Brien v. Luton and the Eliza Adebejo missed, uh, with misses penalty. I still don't think he was actually doing it at the player, but hey-ho. Matty Pearson and his thoughts on the Burnley fans and having a good mate as a Burnley fan I did particularly like that one Josh Caroma versus Stoke for avoiding the red card was it a red card? yeah <laughs> and then scoring moments later and Dunzanetti Holmes if I pronounce that Duane right Esther. Duane Esther Holmes for his I can't hear you celebration at the city ground there were some additions from other voters so someone added none Shithausen is nothing to be celebrated <laughs> Very good. Got one vote. Who was that? <laughs> <laughs> if you're here, get out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably was Nathan Jones. That's a fantastic shout, to be honest. So the winner in reverse order is Matty Pearson for his audio perspectiveness at the away, uh, sorry, away at Burnley, towards the Burnley home fans. Lewis O'Brien's overzealous celebrations in front of, in front of Elijah Aveo. But the winner, bit of tension, Lee Nichols, for the, uh, Lee Nichols for winning town fans' lot of money with his several bookings for time wasting. Yeah, 14 to 1 on that one. I missed out a trick. Right. If, I, if I can quickly add one in there, I loved Dwayne Holmes singing He Only Signs His Mates at Lee Bromby after the playoff semi final. That was brilliant. He's a good lad, is Dwayne. Yeah, Dwayne's great. Uh, right, okay, so it's time to uh, invite. So, first of all, thanks to Johnny. Johnny's jumped in quite a lot for us this year. <laughs> Top man. Uh, and uh, last up from us, last but not least, we've got Cozzy Bear. Three. 
Uh, okay, so we're, we're starting to wind the season down a little bit here and things are getting very, very exciting. Um, it's April time. Town are bouncing back with wins over Middlesbrough, Luton and Coventry. Uh, Harry Toffolo goes on that crazy spell, doesn't he? Five goals in seven games. Or seven in five if you're Eleanor. But... Um, just take us through, you know, that little spell, Stephen, and, and Harry Toffler and Cosio jumping as well. Oh, it was ridiculous. I, I, we actually got a joke out of Carlos Corbran out, through, off the back of that goal-scoring run because I said where it's come from, and he was like, oh, yeah, no, he's, um, he's been working on that in training. And I didn't realise he was joking. And it was literally, it was only DTS was standing behind him, and he burst out laughing. It was like, oh, OK, that was a joke. Couldn't tell. But, um, no, I mean, it was ridiculous. And obviously, capping it off, that, that goal against... Um, against Coventry was, was sensational uh, and he should have had two penalties given um, for him in the, the semi-finals as well one in each leg against Luton thankfully <laughs> but um, no I mean Toffolo has been you know he's a massive character uh, he's, the, he's the best interview in football there's not a journalist who doesn't love him because um, you know I, I'll go into interviews with, with Harry Toffolo or press conferences and won't prepare any notes because I know that whatever he wants to talk about will be more interesting than anything else I could have come up with anyway. I don't even need to do stats because he'll, he'll sit there and reel off stats about his teammates. It's like, fuck you what got a this, nerd. Yeah, got this launched. He's got, I love spreadsheets, socks and all. You know what, Stephen, though? For me, amazing footballer, but the stuff he did with dads, you know, yeah. his last few moments, the, the banner, the, the celebration point to the sky, to me, that, that were a guy that just got it. And that, honestly, I... You can point to his goals, obviously the, oh, the Wembley, the, the penalty that one given. But for me, if he leaves us, my lasting memory of him will be that. Because in an era where, for me, where I think footballers, certainly at town, we seem to have got them guys back who, who care about you know the club and stuff. And I, I just could connect. He, he brought a tear to my eye that. And I just thought this was a guy that, you know, really proper community footballers, buzz like back in the day. So for me, that, that was my major memory of him, obviously. He went on fire at the end of the season, but just a good person, really. Yeah, that was when we when Town signed him from Lincoln. That was like the first thing that the Lincoln City fans and journalists said was just he's he's so good with the fans, and you see that on social media as well. Um, and as you say, you know what what he did for Daz was was you know completely above and beyond, and yeah, um, and brilliant to see. It's what it's what football should be for. But you know, we we had our criticisms of Toffs at times this season. Uh, I think maybe started the season a bit slower and it wasn't like he was you know playing crap he had COVID well yeah that was it yeah <laughs> but like he you know he wasn't playing quite his best and it was evident but you know he, he you can't argue with his numbers in the end his goals and well, again, he's, he's, again like Thomas he's a trier again he won't give up yeah. he won't stop and if he's having a bad game I'll try and influence it but yeah he's made a massive impact I think sometimes he's like you say he's one-on-one defending if, he's, if his mate's not helping him out then he does struggle he can a little get bit. He, he can get yeah. caught Matt, forward cut, a few times. Cut the chase. Will he be the town shirt in August, mate? I, I don't think he will, no. Ooh. Guys, David, um, Stephen. I think the I think the problem is without getting too deep into it. Harry Toffolo is a player who brings, as you've quite rightly said, a lot more than what just happens on the pitch, and that is comes with a premium. And it really comes down to whether whether Town can afford to pay what other clubs would gladly pay him in that division to take him on. Um, and in my heart of hearts, I hope he is, um, and I think I think he could be. But it, it completely depends 
He's the type of player that Town could get an offer on that unfortunately they just can't refuse. The way that it works, his agent will be, wouldn't be doing his job if he wasn't looking around at other clubs and seeing, you know, would anyone take him on? What would they pay him? What is that versus Towns offer? Would they play him? I think he would want to play if he were to go somewhere else. Yeah. So I don't think he would go somewhere to sit on the bench. But um, no, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's. I, they've got they've triggered that extension obviously so worse comes you know I, I the the one thing I think to be fair Cosy is I think Pippa will definitely go and I don't think they would let Pippa and Toflo go in the same window because it just means completely restructuring wide both sides and that's just too much work so that deal Pippa getting done which I think will get done could be the trigger point to go back to Toff and say okay we can't pay you exactly what you want but we can certainly get a bit closer than we are now. On the other end of it is Town do like Josh Ruffles um, that they when they signed him they and, and I said this to them and they said yeah we agree basically which was you know Turton was quite clearly signed as backup to Pippa but when you looked at Ruffles numbers in League One they were very comparable to what uh, what Harry Toffolo had been doing himself for Lincoln when he signed um, so I think that is sort of to play devil's advocate the other side of it is that if they did get a, a decent size offer because someone would need to pay a fee for, for Toffolo then I think they would be quite comfortable with just bumping Joshua Falls up to, to first choice so I think that that's the other side of it and is maybe why you know they're looking at it and going you know are you worth that that extra premium for Okay, so we finished the season with Bristol City, um, a good home win, you know, that was quite routine, wasn't it? Decent performance again from town, but I think the most entertaining aspect of that day in particular was a certain somebody at half-time, you know, had a, a shot on target, which is more than what we had in the playoff final, wasn't it? So maybe Yeah, you doing a dizzy penalty, Steve, I nearly ate my chair laughing. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, I, I mean, I've talked about it to death and like, you know... It, Came last in that poll, didn't it? So I think let's not labour the point. But I'm just, I'm just glad I got the uh, the shot on target. It's all I wanted. And um, Terry and I have had words. And um, let's just say we're not on good terms. Okay, I think that's that, isn't it? From Steve? we are really just <laughs> <laughs> right. So we'll break up this. So we're going to move on to talk about the playoffs. Cosy will take us into the playoffs. But first and foremost is the goal of the season. So we showed. A little video beforehand, which probably I over-edited a little bit. Um, but there's been some cracking goals this year. Um, anyone want to shout out? Favourite goal? Anybody? No one wants to John shout? Russell. John Russell. Uh, so Thomas against Blackpool for me. So Thomas Blackpool. Phil? John Russell. What is header? Right then. Let's put everyone out of suspense, cause In third place, the man with the worst tattoos in football, Danny Ward, is <laughs> Thunderbeast versus Reading. Second, the aforementioned Mr. Harry Toffolo's goal with the old swinger on his wrong foot against Coventry. But the winner, a beautiful lob by Mr. John Russell versus Lewin I think Lewin you should Tom. commentate it. <laughs> yeah, so fantastic. But Cosy, take us into the playoffs, because... As a podcast, we were incredibly busy and uh, there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, Luton Town, I must admit, I was one of those who thought it was massive that we got Luton in the last day and I didn't go to the Bristol game to see Stephen's penalties. I was watching uh, from abroad on uh, various different channels, the Hull and Nottingham Forest game, so it would, I was really chuffed when uh, Hull equalised 
totally out of the blue and we got Luton Town. Not to think that we were there, but I just thought it was our better route. But the, uh, yeah, the first leg, lucky enough to get a ticket uh, down there and what a finish from Sinani. Like, I'd, honestly, the raw from the, like, the town fans that night, because you're like under sea level, like you that Luton ground. Honestly, what a place that is. I found a, a place that RK's hairdressers and that as well. Can you believe that? But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what, what's, uh, what's, the, what's, it, what's yeah. it called, Matt, and where can we find it? G27, Emily. It's always there. there. <laughs> no, but the, uh, that, I'm the same as you, Cozzy. Uh, it had to be Luton. It had to be Luton. Anyone saying, oh, we don't care, you've got to beat everyone. Stuff that, get to the final. And they were the weaker side in there. The other teams had big players who can hurt you on the day, as we've seen here on this season. It was all about Luton. You know, as much as Sky and all the rest of them wanted the romance of a shit old club like Luton with a ground like them and I don't, I don't quite get what they were going for because Nathan Jones isn't particularly likeable the ground is a hole you know what I mean you can't even park anywhere near it so there's no romance it's just a hole and they, they were just getting very excited so I'd love to have seen if they would have got promoted Sky turning up and try to park some of their cars lorries vans try and get VAR on a stand that blows in the wind and nearly blows over you can see over. some nice EGZ planes passing no, from the way and no matter not for me so it, it was ridiculous and it was the right team to play and it was the right result why, why do I feel like that's not the first time you've said there's no romance it's just a hole <laughs> but um, no I mean not on a Wednesday but Personally, like I, I actually would have been quite comfortable if Town had got Sheffield United because I thought both times they played Sheffield United, they totally had their number. And I thought that Friday night away trip to Luton was potentially the worst thing that could have happened to them because of their, their travel sickness at times this season where they've come back from games late at night and then struggled in the following game at home on a tight turnaround. But I think the, the, the thing about the playoffs, though, is that they'd already shown, you know, we didn't really talk about them, but... They got through those six pointers, the the Luton, uh, QPR, and, and Middlesbrough games, with the absolute ease. And that Middlesbrough game in particular, I'm surprised that wasn't on sort of best performances, to be honest, because uh, you know they, they were just Middlesbrough just barely laid a finger on them. They just kept them at arms arms length, got two goals, um, you know, a set piece and a counter attack, and did exactly what they needed to do against a team that looked like a real threat um, at that time, and then followed that up with a load of routine wins. So like. You, got, you talk about, you know, who are we playing in the playoffs or, you know, can we beat this team? But Town went, they finished third in the table. They went into the playoffs as the form team. Whoever they played, they should have got through. And, and they did. We knew it would be very, very hard work against Luton because we know that, that, you know, Luton don't have a huge amount of quality in the side. A little bit like Town, not, you know, but more so. They didn't have a huge amount of quality in the side, but they're so hard working. We knew it was going to be tough games, and, and it proved to be so. But, I mean, that Jordan Rhodes goal, there can't have been many moments that have been as celebrated as that at, at the John Smith Stadium um, over the years. That was, that was a moment of magic. It was, which dickhead would be commentating in it, probably half cut on that as well. I, I, it was incredible uh, <laughs> that night. I was meant to be doing that uh, commentary with a Luton fan. And I'd looked through his Twitter feed and uh, deemed him not suitable, so he pulled out on the dip morning. The good job they didn't look through mine, by the way, or so there'd be no one commentating. But uh, so yeah, so I expected them like to pull the plug, and then they kind of rung me up, and said, "Oh, do you, do you still want to do it?" I'm like, "What am I on?" So like, shit. So I better go into uh, other stuff beforehand. So two uh, pints of uh, Madri and two sambucas later, up we go to the Gantiag. And for some reason, I still thought it was that hanging Gantiag, even though I've been up. Town for how many years? I thought with that one, you know, that that would standing over, not Leeds Road, but that other one. But 
So I, at first I thought, am I going to even see? But there were no monitors or anything, and I'd had a good drink, and I thought, this is just going to go... You know what, Stephen? For the first 20, 25 minutes, I thought, this is going wrong. Luton were on top. I could, it's really interesting in that gantry because you can feel the tension. It was almost like a lot of the people in the Kilner Bank had never seen town before, so they were very impatient. Get it forward when we're passing it on Oh, back. no, they're always there. <laughs> yeah, and I just thought, oh, my God, this is going to look brilliant, isn't it? Here? You've got this bald idiot just shouting about a Luton victory. and But luckily, it all turned out well in the end and that as well. But a famous night and, yeah scenes after I said to Matt before we started that John Rhodes goal gets better every time I look at it it's a, it's an incredible finish because he's virtually unsighted and it's one of those goals that although it may not be the most spectacular on a sort of difficulty rating that's well up there isn't well, it well it's one of those ones where as a striker you're told to make the run a hundred times the ball might come it might not come and he made the run because he's a you know what I mean ultimate professional which Jordan is and that was it it came off his heel or bottom of his studs whatever it you was you knew it would he made that, that ball, side of that yeah. killed yeah. the bank it he, was the and best it's feel brilliant. he could ball that up and, and drink it he, finished, he knew it would in he he some players it. give up some players give yeah. up on, on things they think I ain't going to get there he's gone go go gadget leg you know what I mean he's got there <laughs> and he's just ended up in the back of the net and yeah and it was great with Jordan as well because he had a tough start to the season I spoke to him when he did his back in so obviously that, that, that was at a time that time it was a long time ago when Jordan first played for the club and he's just a, again a fantastic fellow and he was absolutely devastated that he couldn't make an impact first on and then obviously didn't get his goals things weren't happening so him to score that goal take him to Wembley was just was fantastic he was yeah he, he ended the season so well and I think there was an argument going into that playoff final that he should have started rather than Danny Ward as the form player I think we, we had that argument and decided Ward he was Maybe the one to go for. That's got to be a quick argument now. That's got to be a quick argument. Do we have to talk about fantasy? Well, I was about to say, do we have to talk about that? First, let's start with the lineups. I'd had a drink before, but when I saw Mr. N. Saad on on that lineup, I I could not believe it. I I, kind of got it because I think what he wanted, they're so good out wide. It was having the two left footers to double up on the left and the two right footers to double up on the right. But yeah, when you see Nabby's name on a team sheet, bless him, it does so it give like, you certain thoughts and feelings. It was Peeper's name on the team sheet that did me. He shouldn't have been on the team sheet because he, he off, just flies to deceive. He's got a trick in him. And, and yeah, the second cool. trick is gives it straight back to the opposition. It doesn't cross. That shot hasn't landed yet uh, from near the end. Your family, and it's Matt. like, what, what, what are you doing? No, again, it just since he got injured, that big injury he got, he come back a totally different player. It's, and I thought, where, where's he gone? And he does nothing. And all in turn, he should have started. And I think Russell should have started as well. So Naby's R wasn't a problem for me. It was people playing and Russell not playing. Did you guys have any screens like watching the game? Yeah. Because yeah. That, that was the most heartbreaking thing because obviously you guys wouldn't have seen it unless you had Sky Go. But I were like sat, as you do, next to like Lee Entry and, and Danny Mandon Goodman and they were lip reading. I said, that's a penalty, that's a penalty. Yeah. And then when Moss took for age, I thought, he's going to give it, he's going to give it. 98 We were watching the replay and oh. it was like, he's, well, he's got to give this because it's a clear touch. Nope. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, we can talk about those refereeing decisions, but I think you almost don't need us to. We all know they were wrong. You know, even Forest players were saying it was wrong. You know, like there's there's no debate or it was interest we had in yeah. talking about. It was embarrassing. It, it, it was it was embarrassing, but both teams were crap on the day yeah, as well. Neither but regardless, neither it, football turns on a moment. Football turns on something. You get confidence. You get your chest out. You, you scored your goal. You've got your pen. Even if you miss it, you know what I mean? You still feel like you've got a chance of getting back in the game again because you, you're going to get something. So for him to stand there 
look at the VAR and he was so dismissive his body language was an absolute disgrace as well I thought on the day he looked like a saying it's my last day just leave me alone I'm, I'm having the time of my life here in front of these crowns I'm going to get my little medal afterwards and I'm, oh, I'm going to be the boss of the man on VAR so afterwards destroyed. honestly this tweet will haunt me forever but I remember people booting off about John Moss oh mate worst referee you could have I remember Keith Hackett who did that show it. worst yeah. thing you could have Rich and I said Keith it don't matter because if he cocks up yeah, I'll sort it out. And honestly, I'll take, probably take that to my dying days because he just didn't, man. And, but it, you've got to move on, haven't you? And, oh, Not anyway. yet. <laughs> no, yeah. but Give it a couple of weeks. It's, there's nothing worse than that play. Thing. You know, last five minutes when it's just slipping away. It's, I know it's spot and why we love it, but well, it was hard to take because we haven't lost to a better team. But, but that's, that's what it is. And Sheffield United could have said the same in 2012. It, Reading... 2017 it's just the way it is isn't you it? get beat 3-0 and you're out of the game fine yeah, it's way it is. you get beat 1-0 and you get two shitty decisions like that Ugh. I'm afraid it's a lot harder to deal um, with yeah. the players were devastated they yeah. were Gutted. absolutely devastated you could you could see it in every one of them we spoke to three or four of them some of the stuff they said was non-printable they, they really anyway they really did feel it and the thing is because he it's, it's an unquantifiable thing to say, you know, you've got your club back or you feel like you've got a team that cares. But even me as, as trying to be an invested neutral, basically, you could see the pain on them. You could see how much it hurt them. And I think they will genuinely use that as fuel. I, I really do. It's what Dean Hoyle was saying yeah. today when he put that um, his latest update out. He was saying, you know, we were here in 2011 and then we went up the following year and they, they used it to turn them around. The, the, the thing I hope is that Going into next year, I feel like that playoff final, I know that there's the decisions we talked about, but I kind of feel like there might be a few players that come away from that game thinking we could have done more here because they were 1-0 down, yeah. chasing the game, and even 15 minutes from time, they were getting up the wing, getting into good crossing positions, and there'd be one person in the box. I think Carlos could have I done more, Steve. He was screaming for them to get forward and he made the subs to, to try and encourage them to get forward. He you, don't need the, you don't need the, the managers to say get no. in the box. No. So you just get your ass in the there, box. There was a moment it. second half where I think it was Toflo got into a really, really good crossing position and the only player in the forest box was Dwayne Holmes. So it wasn't even Jordan Rhodes, it was Dwayne Holmes. And you just think, it's just not enough. You just, you, you, it's really weird. We bumped into Tino uh, in a bar after we uh, Levi Coa. Do you know what I chilled out about it? Uh, and I thought, I said, mate, you, you must be raging. You could have, like, turned it. Mate, no, I've had a good time out of the shield. I, I wasn't quite surprised because, for me, Tino was a man who could have. But we wasted a sub on Sar, so I, I don't know. Maybe it's just where it was, but it's gone now, mate. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, everyone will always remember that game and, and getting screwed like that. But um, you've got, you know, they've got to move past it now. Everyone's got to move past it and... And, and looked in next season and you know that's the positives is that they you know there's a lot of positives you can take out of this season and they've got a good platform for next year I think yeah I think that comes to uh, to the end of that so the last thing for us to do really is to announce the player of the season and I'm going to have the honour uh, or give the honour to Mr Glennon at the end so if Matt could run us through the, uh, oh. the so nominees for player of the season are Tom Lees Lee Nichols Lewis O'Brien Sober Thomas, Harry Toffolo, Danny Ward. You had to put that in there, didn't you? And the winner is Araji Van Lepara, one of my favourites. There you go. Hopefully he's on his way back. So, at number three... You, you just wrote this, you, say, you just made this up as you're going along. Number three, Tom Lees. Number two, Lewis O'Brien. And number one, Lee Nichols was 70% of the vote. Thoroughly deserved. You tell you what, you can't argue. You can't argue with any of them, to be fair. All been superb.
All been excellent. No, that's it. So thank you very much, everyone. We've got one more short video afterwards, which Matt's very much looking forward to, the role of dishonour for our pre-season predictions, which will take me a moment to set up. So if you want to get your last orders at the bar, toilet. that's all very good. And go to the toilet. But thank you very much to Matt, Dave, Stephen, Cosley and everyone else. And you guys as well for coming down. Thank you very much. Okay, it is. So Cozzy's asked what's happening with James McAtee. They're, they're interested, but there's a lot of work to be done, um, basically. So as with any loan, it's basically it's up to Man City where they send him. So it's, it's you know, as much as trying to convince the player where he wants to go, um, it's, it's doing a job on City that, that he, this is the best place for him. And unfortunately... He's one of those players who, you know, like all the best loan players, there's loads of interest in him, uh, including, and this has been reported, um, Brighton and Hove Albion are after him for a permanent, Dave, aren't they? Dreadful club. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, tell us about the, the Brighton. Uh, just as far as I know from the Brighton side, Cucurella is wanted by Man City, and Man City are going to chuck him into the deal because we've been after him for a while. So I, th I think with City... They like to try and loan players out into a top division somewhere. Like They've got sister clubs, haven't they? Yeah, so I, I, I know Town are interested. I know he's a very good player. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's a bit of a long shot. Yeah. So it's not to say it won't happen, but you know, there's, there's work to be done there, basically. Yeah, but who cares about transfers? What you guys really want to talk is you want to ask these guys a question. Does anyone ask anyone here... I want to ask one of these guys a question. Okay, oh, a few hands. Lovely. First. Great to see. Professional as always. So say your name where you come from. <laughs> uh, I think one or two people know me. I'm Stan, aka Polish. Yeah, yeah, I love Ken Davey. Absolutely top man. Yeah, aka Polish if you're from down Ken on the map. Ken, 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 can you hear me? Ken Davey, when he, uh, when he had us as a club, uh, Boothie scored hat trick one week and, and he was showing someone around the, the club. And uh, Boovey was sat in change rooms and he came in and he says, oh, look, he says, uh, it's first team change room. He says, and, and here's our star striker, Paul Booth. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, <to> Ken. <laughs> yeah, right, OK. There were a number of times when, during course of the season, we'd gone ahead. Uh, we, obviously, we lost 2-1 down at Cardiff. Um, home games stand out in particular. We went 1-0 up against Swans. We were absolutely battering them. We were battering Stoke, went 1-0 up. We um, were battering QPR, went 1-0 up, then 2-1 up. And then, inexplicably, we sat back. Do you think those games might have cost us automatic promotion? You heard him. Did those games cost us automatic promotion? Steve, you're on your laptop, so I'm going to come to you first. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting the, um, the numbers on it, really. Because... Um, I've, um, I've got my spreadsheet here. That, yeah, it was a bit of a pattern um, at, at one point. You know, there was a, a run, particularly sort of uh, November through to sort of the end of January, um, where they dropped 13 points um, for, from winning positions. And it was, it was an issue. You know, it started with that Peterborough game. But that Stoke game you mentioned was, was you know, sort of the end of that run. They then had a, a good spell where... They were they were able to to see games out or at least get a draw out of them, um, you know, likes of of West Brom and QPR and 
and and those were the, the last two after January where that happened. So I, I think you can make that argument, but on the other hand, if you look at the, the numbers for protected leads, they actually did quite well. Um, you know, it's it's. I think when it's your club, you pay a lot of attention to it, but you don't pay attention to when other clubs go ahead and then end up drawing. You don't think about that's a pattern for them or they've dropped loads of points from ahead. And and Town's record and their record coming back from behind was also really really good this season. They were, I think maybe the, I think them and Coventry were the best in the division um, for getting points from behind. So. I think it swings and roundabouts, really. I get where you're coming from with it, and there are a few that were particularly frustrating, but I think there were other clubs that, that had the same issue, to be fair. I think you've also got to remember the point we made about Town played badly in other games and won. So you can sort of pick any point in the season and say, right, that's a sliding doors moment. We could have got points out of that, but I think you just have to celebrate where they finished, really. Yeah? Yeah, Fine, for, for me as well... <laughs> Again, you, you look at other clubs like Stephen saying there, amount of times at Bournemouth nearly threw it away, they were, they were done and dusted and suddenly it's like they've been beat again and the fact that they got anywhere near them is more to a Bournemouth throwing it away. You, know, you, you look at the players they have in the team, just look at Mitrovic, £80,000 a week still. You know, these sort of players, they have these dips but you know they're going to get something at some point, they're going to go back in a massive run and that's why, again, we agree with the, the, the Luton game. They didn't have those magical plays that other clubs have paid a lot of money for. So, special moments at times where you, you threw it when you didn't have that extra bit of quality. I think that's where maybe Town lacked a little bit. That little bit of stardust, which obviously Sober Thomas and a couple of players did bring. So, you, you've got to realise that the season was magical and they were always going to be found wanting at certain times in the season. And it was just unfortunate that, yeah, they did throw a couple of games away on the grand scheme of things. I think they were pretty consistent. Okay. Yeah. Is that is that covered, Matt? Yeah. What I was going to add was uh, I, th- I I get where Stan's coming from as well. The you know it, a lot of it happened sort of October, November, December time, didn't it? And you could see visibly Huddersfield getting pushed back, pushed back slightly in games as well. And I think John Russell uh, added quite a lot into Huddersfield Town's midfield because it was about really an element of control within that midfield. And Russell really he, Huddersfield are quite profligate, if you like, in terms of short range passing. There's a lot of people try to give and go really quickly and quite a lot of mistakes, and that's what caused uh, us to get pushed back. And I think John Russell's introduction in January, or Carol Lighting's, is maybe what was planned, uh, really helped gain more control in a foothold win game, which meant that that happened less as the season went on. Fantastic. So, next question, put your hands up. Okay, I'm going to go to you here. Come, come with me, and you'll see a world of pure imagination. <laughs> Okay, so what's your name? Where you come from? How is your perfect Sunday? Is it Sunday? No, it's all right. Is it Sorry. So first of all, thank you for... It's been great to be part of the third best podcast behind Under the Cosh and Movies, Beer and Banter. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, This question... Sorry. This question... Sorry. (laughs) This question's directed at uh, Mr. Glennon. Uh, I had the pleasure of seeing you rolling back the years at... Longfield at Golka. Golka, yeah. Just a few weeks back, and this is ju- it's totally off topic, but who, which player surprised you the best or the worst in seeing Dean Gorey? Because he's yeah, he's as big as he's wide now, isn't he? Well, he's not as big as Clyde. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> divine, yeah. But uh, out of those players that played that game, because it was brilliant to see all those players sort of rolling back the years, which which sort of players sort of still lived on in your memory? Uh. I- I think Vine out up front because he's massive and he's in his 50s but he always says he wants to play 90 minutes he always plays the full game and 
people like that. There, there was lo- there was there, there was a few, and you talk about Dean as well, and he he, he was he was excellent. He was excellent, you know, in the, the, the cricket lad. He, he was not too bad either running around. But yeah, just, just those two. Chris Billy, he couldn't run that fast when I played with him at Carlisle. And that was, that was uh, 15 years ago as well. But it's great to play them games. It's great because you see that quality and you get these teams like Goldcrow and you play these other, these other sides and young whippersnappers turn up and, oh, we'll, we'll sort these fat bastards out. He's all, these old lot. We'll, we'll sort them out. And then quality shines through. Classic you end up beating it, yeah. them three or four nil. And it's, uh, yeah. it's always good fun, them games. Were, were you the only player who's in better shape than you were in your playing days? <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> uh, we did say uh, that. Probably, crowd, probably yeah. yes. Well, to be fair, the show was very forgiving. Phil, tell us about uh, Clyde Varnard. I heard there was uh, an interesting uh, <laughs> photo yeah. doing arounds. Oh, <laughs> I heard about that as well. But no, he was, uh, he was the ultimate professional, of course. He got a bit excited on the day, but he, he was fine. His shorts were just a little bit too short, okay. shall we? Say. Right. Um, we'll move on from the short shorts. Next question. Anyone? Hands up. Uh, okay. I'm going to come to you. Next yes. Come on. <laughs> He's got very short legs. <laughs> okay. What's your name? Where you come from? What's your perfect Sunday? <laughs> I'm sure it's not Sunday. Um, I'm Christopher Schindler's dad. <laughs> Christopher. Yeah. You're Christopher Schindler's dad. Yes. Wow. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> no, not really. There okay. was, uh, the guy who took part before, there's some sort of spurious suggestion that he looks like Christopher Schindler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought somebody might get it, but... God, you if it uh, sort of fell flat, did it? Right, my question, my question, I'll get to that. Um, I think on the whole, we can say the squad exceeded expectations last season. One player who actually did disappoint me, given the season he had before, um, Josh Karoma. Uh, maybe it's a bit like Carol Lighting, perhaps he was a good player in a not-so-good team. Um, I am delighted that he actually triggered the extension to his contract. But what does Josh Crum have to do next year to get a new contract and to get Matt to blow his conch again? Yeah. I'll start with that if you don't mind. Matt, yes, go for it, conch. Stop yeah, touching the conch. Right, okay. Yeah, um, you heard that, go on, for go me. On. For me, uh, I don't know if he... I, obviously, if anyone does listen, I don't. I pretty much say what, what I think, and I think he thought he was better than he was. I thought he, he didn't work as hard as he could have done. I think at times he thought it was just going to happen for him. He's obviously had his head turned somewhere else, and he wasn't. He wasn't the same player. He'd forgotten that he was someone that came from Leighton Orient, and now he's playing for Huddersfield Town in the Championship, and he should have worked harder. Carolitin was different. Carolitin did work hard. Carolitin was a sort of player that wanted to do well. It just didn't quite happen for him. For me, Josh Caroma is someone I've seen a thousand times before where they have that, that really good end of season. He, he, he did massive part in keeping the club in the championship. Let's not forget. And then ran with it, I think, last season. And it didn't work for him. Matt, I didn't ask the question, so don't direct it at me. Uh, I, th- I, think, um, I think he doesn't do enough defensively for Carlos either. I don't, and I think that is one of the main reasons we saw him sort of bombed out the team because if he's if he's not scoring goals and making assists and and he wasn't um he doesn't give you as much off the ball as a, as a Dwayne Holmes or or even a, a Danel Sinani who, who you know for all his limitations did actually you know work hard defensively so um I, I don't know I think Josh Caroma could come good come good again I think you and I both have mind Dave that like he could easily go and score 20 goals next season but I think he he looks 
at, at the times last season, he looked like he was, and I don't mean trying too hard. I take what you're saying, Matt, but like trying too hard to make something happen, trying too hard to like, you know, to, he was taking on shots he shouldn't have taken on, taking on dribbles he shouldn't have taken on. I think he just needs to calm down a little bit and try and let, you know, let the game come to him at times um, and know that like if he does work hard, he is going to get those chances. He doesn't need to, to force the issue quite so much. I, I agree with that. I think he, he had a clear, he's got a clear plan in terms of how he plays um, and, and, and it, it didn't quite work for him this year. And, and again, he, he forced too much. And I think when you're, when you're not in the team and you're trying to get back in the team, sometimes you're trying to do too much. Uh, and, and, and it didn't work. What, what obviously we all know, I've spent a lot of time on the bench, and, and what I look at is um, his, his attitude, and his attitude just didn't seem right. You've got to, if, if you're in that position where you're not playing, when you when you enter the field, you've got to take that chance because you've <laughs> there we go. because you've got so many you've got so many other players who, who are playing well and, and and who want it, and you can't just live off past glories because you're only as good as your last game. And for me, he, Matty's nail on the head, we see so many players who are exactly like that and there's zero consistency. Again, probably why you're playing where you're playing. And, and his, you know, the big thing for him next season is that he's got to show that he's, he's back to what he was like before. You've got to work hard for your place. No matter how much quality you've got, you've got to work hard for your place and, and be that better player. And, and when you look at who's been playing in front of him, it's not as if it's, you know, you know world-class superstars who are playing in front of him. It's lads who are actually working hard for a team. Dwayne Holmes, we, we, we can all probably say something about Dwayne Holmes in terms of where he started and we were like, oh, he grafts. He works hard. If the game's not going right for himself, he'll, 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 do, a, he'll do a shift in defence and, 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 and try his best going forward. Josh Cromer, you just didn't quite see that last year. Phil, how, sorry, how, how much will it have hurt him not being involved in a playoff? It's incredible to think that in August, if you'd have said Josh Cromer wouldn't even be on the bench. Like but but, this, but this, because this is what I'm saying. Will, it, will he bounce back or will he think it's time to get out of the Well, it depends year? what his attitude is all about. Who's going to want him? I, I yeah. think, uh, to be this fair, I, I think he, we spoke to him in sort of uh, December and to be fair to him, he, he acknowledged that he wasn't having a good season and he hadn't been playing well and that the only way he's going to get you know I, but that's, I know that's, that's what but players that's, say all the time yeah but, that's yeah, exactly but he did, he, I mean he came we didn't say to him like why have you been shit lately <laughs> but um, but he sort of copped to it himself you know he, he introduced the topic kind of thing so it's, it's, it's easily said when, when it's clear and obvious yeah. for, for me the, the attitude you know we're, we're not in the training ground day in day out we have no idea what these kids are like so but for me you've got to you've got to look between, read between the lines and there's something not right there and, and, and I want to see a player who's going to fight for the shirt and when they get a chance they're going to graft really hard for it and, and I didn't see that last year Okay, we're going to move on Alright, Phil, you hate Karoma, it's fine I don't uh, hate Karoma, I do like next it Next question, alright, you sir Don't try to ask you a question okay. Which is, right, if you had to go for a pint with one of the guys here, who would you pick and why? It's difficult because they're all absolute legends but probably, probably Stephen Chicken probably Stephen Chicken Absolute legend. Love the podcast. Listen Thank to it you. all year. Well, every one of them. Absolute I mean, legends. The one non-drinker. Yeah. <laughs> Yourself as well, Brady, as well. <laughs> so, um, we've, we've said about the potential like imminent departure of Pippa at fullback. And obviously, we've got a certain B-team player who's played a couple of international matches over the last couple of weeks. So, who do we think is ready to step up from the B-team to replace Pippa? Brody Spencer or Aaron Rowe? What do we think? I think they could both get a look. Aaron Rowe's more natural for the wing-back role, isn't he? Um, but Bro- Brody's got a bit of everything. He's so 
you know, ahead Bro- of his years. Brody's my boy. He really is. Uh, he's got. Well, the thing. Yeah, Romani. That's another conversation, it'd be fair to say. But the thing about Brody is. I've done quite a few B-team games and he always stands out. He's always got a little bit more. He's really quick. He's full of running. He's got a great attitude. You were talking about Josh Caroma and I think the one thing that's counting against Josh Caroma this season is his body language. Brody is the complete opposite of that. He's, he's up for everything. He's just desperate to be involved, desperate to play. I think he's got a chance. I really like Aaron Rowe. But I'm not sure Carlos Corbran likes Aaron Rowe because he had plenty of opportunities to get him back into the squad to help out last season. He didn't do it. We don't know what the reasons are for that. But I, hand on heart, honest, I wouldn't be surprised if Rowe was potentially out on loan next season. I don't know, just to get him some football. But Spence, Spence Brody's the one, isn't he? Yeah, Rowe was out injured until December. Uh, he had a similar thing to Pat Jones, so he missed seven months of last year, um, to be fair to him. But um, he, he's come back and he's been quite inconsistent for the B team, I think it's fair to say. Which is, you know, he, he's a bit like that anyway. We, we, watched him, we watched him play against Newcastle and he got fouled in about the third or fourth minute and he then spent 96 minutes trying to nutmeg the lad who fouled him at every single opportunity instead of actually getting on with the game. And that's a player who is bored with B-team football but not pushing into the first team. So at the moment, he's stuck in a, in a little bit of, you know, he, he needs to play next season. Whether that's at town or not, I don't know. Dave, what about Pat Jones? You mentioned him there and he's been getting some nice reviews. Obviously, we had a little glimpse of him in a, in a bad team and to me you were on about you know some stardust and stuff that guy maybe he, next season he maybe, is, is well too early on? Is it the thing about Pat about? Jones is he is really really good he is definitely the one that stands out in terms of attacking players Carlos Corberan loves him he's just got to stay fit but he, he needs to go on the Josh Osterfield diet because Josh Osterfield has really bulked up now and is, it looks really physical Pat Jones still looks like he takes a packed lunch with him and <laughs> The thing is, in the championship, you know, we're laughing about it, but in the championship out wide, you've got to be fairly tough. You've got to be able to ride a tackle. And he's not, he's not quite there yet. But the thing is, at his age, that can happen very, very quickly. It can happen over a summer. So the one thing I will say about Jones is he is incredibly well thought of in the club. And as I said, he is the one that... You know, Carlos's main note on him was it, to get into the first team. All he needs to do is just stay fit. Yeah, he, he, I think in terms of if we're sticking on um, players, he might make breakthrough. Sorry, yeah, Dave. Boyle, mate, what, what do you make of that signing? Um, well, Boyle, I think he's he's effectively Naby Sard's replacement. You know, he's a he's a big, physical centre back. He's a top lad um, by all accounts. Um, everyone in the club, you know, we, we talk about how they emphasise character. Um, and having the right characters in the squad and all the reviews from the Cheltenham side and from his first spell with the academy he is apparently like absolutely bang on like top pro um, so you know you're always going to get 100% from him uh, obviously he's got something to prove because he's not played much in the way of championship football spent a lot of his career in, in League 2 had that league, league 1 season last year it's the highest Cheltenham have ever finished in the history of their club and he was captain so I think that says something um, but um, no, I think he's he's um, he's a decent signing. He's, I don't think anyone's going to get like super excited about him. He's not brilliant on the ball, but he's a he's a heading machine. He's a threat from set pieces. Um, he's good on the ground as well. His tackling stats for the last season are pretty good. So I think he's you know it's a, it's a pretty solid signing. I think. 
I mean, Steve, let's talk about the real thing, which is he doesn't look 26, does he? He's not 26. No. He, I like that he joked about that himself, saying his, his hairline has deteriorated. And as a, a man who that happened to around that age, I sympathise. <laughs> so, um, no, he's, uh, I, I, really, I, I thought he came across really well on that welcome interview because he knows what he is. And I really like that he said... He knows that he, you know, he's going to have to get some fans on board because he's not a glamour signing. And you know, where it's always, I think it is always tough when you, you know, ask Danny Ward, when you leave as a youngster and fans have got a certain idea in their heads of, of what you are, you then have to sort of erase those ideas and, and sort of start again. So, yeah. But, you know, you'd, um, the attitude he's got, you'd, you'd back him to do it, I think. Well done, Steve, for saying my stupid question. Cosy, what were you going to say? I was just going to say 15,500 season tickets. That. That kind of threw me today. I was like, "Wow, that's pretty bloody good, that, isn't it?" Especially at moment when, uh, brilliant. When obviously a price of Warburtons is like nearly two pounds. Forget your petrol and that. But, uh, <laughs> okay. No, it's, it's uh, do we have any other questions? Any hands up? Uh, go on, then, mate. Come to come to the floor. So my question for you as you walk, uh, you have a penalty. John Rhodes or Danny Ward? Who are you back in? Rhodes. Rhodes. Simple. So, Lewis and um, Toffolo go, and you've got 15 million pounds in the bank. What do you do with that? Uh, anybody? Midfielders. Goal scoring midfielders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They need those attacking midfielders. Um, I think even if Lewis were to stay, that's the position they have to recruit for because. You know, again, we had mixed views on Danel Sonani, but they don't have a player that can do that role now. Like Brahima Diara, I think, might get looked at, but I think he's maybe maybe a big ask for him to step up at this stage. Um, and they need, you know, they need someone of that who can play that Sonani position, but they need someone who can play number eight role as well um, because they've got... They've got ball players um, and they've got number sixes. Uh, Etienne Kamara is another player who we might see a bit of. He's been training with the first team the last few months. Apparently, he's done pretty well. Um, but they need those players that are willing. You know, they don't get enough goals from midfield. They don't have those that that eight to ten goal a season um, midfielder who's going to make runs into the box, Frank Lampard style, and, and smash it in. No, not for the money. It, if it had been, it's one and a half a million. Free. One and a half million was the uh, was the amount, and um, I don't think it was worth that. It, I think you can get better for that. Cosy, as as a fan, what was your opinion of Sonani? Because In I saw <laughs> I saw I saw every game he played last season, and I still don't know if he's a good player or a bad player. Totally agree, mate. I mean, he's finished at Luton in the playoffs. He were like that shows what he can do. He saw it against Peterborough, but he's one of those players like he just. If you weren't doing that, he was just very rarely involved in that as well. And I think, I think if you're opposition, you're not too kind of worried about him. But it's always one of those, I think, where potential and not you don't play for Luxembourg if you're a bad player, David. You know, but uh, <laughs> but it's one of those. It's like, can you? I think one and a half million. Like, say, could you get better? You probably could in that as well. So it's uh, yeah. I don't think it'd be a Norwich's team next season, do you? I think it'd be no. out of there. No. I just the. The two footballers here at the end. Going back to that question, I wanted to ask, would you try to replace Lewis O'Brien or would you just try and set your midfield up differently? Because I'm not sure he's replaceable. He's not, but yeah, I would try and bring someone else in. But as we talked about, someone who can 
score goals as well. We're not talking hatfuls of goals. We're talking uh, between six and ten. That, that's it. Just get someone who can just, again, drive forward. Yeah, you, you're not going to re- replace him with the budget. You're talking about 15 million there. You're not going to replace him. You know, if you want a couple of the players in as well for that kind of money, you've got to either drop lucky. You know, the scouting's been superb over, over well, this, this, this season anyway. So you've just got to try and find someone who, yeah, can try at the back of the net and just realise you've got to be either very lucky or just realise that it's not actually going to happen. You're going to have someone as good as that. What, what they need is, I think, and I think I said this on the podcast, is the player that Janino Bakuna should have been. Like, because you know, for people Gino know Bakuna with a heart. You mean people? People <laughs> know that Janino Bakuna drove me mad. But to be fair to him, he did get those sort of six to ten goals a season, and you, you can't fault him for that. And I think they they miss that in in this team. If there's if there's something missing, I think it's that. Hey, Phil, you're not as big on O'Brien as maybe others are. Oh are yeah, I'm calling you out. <laughs> sure, um, I think that's a really good question. That's got me thinking straight away in terms of I'd be a horrendous manager. I really would because. Like, are they going to spend 15 million straight away? If you've got 15 million, are the club going to spend it? No, they're not. Um, what's the wage bill? It's, it's only small. They're not going to spend any more on the wages than what they're spending. They're lowering it. So you start thinking then, well, actually, how much would we have to spend and what, what do we need? And, and I just think we've got a lot of good young players coming through. I say this all the time here. I must sound boring. Um, the young kids to come through Lewis O'Brien came through we give him a chance Etienne Kamara you know, we've, obviously we've got some mates inside the ground who, who talk very highly of the 23s um, so it sounds really exciting f- from what they're saying so I have no idea what I, what I would do with that, f- with that money to spend I really don't because I just it's we're not that kind of club we're not going to bring in some massive signings so where do you go uh, but I think it is clear that we do need something a little bit more in midfield. I don't think our midfield's as strong, you know, going to it now, I don't think our midfield's as strong as what as what we'd like it to be. Um, I, I have a running uh, argument or conversation with one of the analysts. We, we, we drink together in, in one of our local pubs and he raves about Lewis. The stats on Lewis are uh, frightening in terms of his first touch. Um, away from opponents in tricky situations etc my issue with Lewis is just his decision making in the final third and, and sometimes the simple five yard passes that should be made really easily sometimes are just given away and, and I can't get my head around that for a player that we're talking about moving into the Premier League and, and, and it's easy for us to say because I'm retired and fat and, and old um, but it's for me if you're looking at that standard I don't know whether Matty agrees but you've you've got to be bang on how old's, how old's Lewis? 23. 23 year old. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not young. And, and I just think, you know, I'm not, he's an outstanding footballer, he really is. But we're, we're all talking about, oh, Lewis O'Brien's amazing, blah, blah, blah. If we can get some good money for Lewis, for good money for Lewis O'Brien, there's going to be someone else out there. I, I, I completely agree with those. Those are the flaws in his game, and that's where I worry about him in the Premier League. I think he will. But he, do, but he is an outstanding football. He will do well in the Premier League, but it will take whoever he moves to. It will take the fans a little while to get used to the fact that he isn't much in the final third. I was comparing to he's like a Championship Kante. Yeah. He does everything except the final third bit, and um, but I can't remember what I was going to say now. <laughs> But, oh, yeah, that was it. Again, it goes back to what we were saying about John Russell earlier. You know, he's got that floor in his game. He's quite slow. Lewis, that's the floor in his game. And if he could shoot and, you know, was, was getting yeah, more goals yeah. and assists, he wouldn't be playing Huddersfield. He would have been at a Premier League club his whole career. So, I mean, that's, that's you know, that's the reality of Huddersfield Town, isn't but it's, it? But it's easy for me to say that because next year, if he's gone, if and when he's gone, like, et cetera, 
it might be clear and obvious that we do rely on him. So you know, it, until some, until you know, until someone's gone, you you, you never know, do you? But um, yeah, I do think the central midfield is, is is a key area. But we've mentioned, you've mentioned, you see him more than us. Etienne Kamara apparently is, is an outstanding footballer. So yeah, he's more of a number six, really. Um, he's very tall. He's got. Um, he's decent on the ball. It's very hard to get the ball off him, um, and that's one one bit that he can maybe replicate a bit with Lewis. Some of his passing out to the wings isn't brilliant at times, uh, and he he does um, throw himself into tackles sometimes. Um, he, that <laughs> yeah, you know you know academy football you don't get red cards, but I believe there's been a few times where the yeah. referee has said if this was a you'd have been off. So there's a, there's tweaks that need to be made in his game, obviously, as with any young player. Um, but, yeah, the, the reviews from the training ground, from what I've heard, are very, very good. The first team players are, are quite impressed. What would you do? So. What would you spend your, your 15 on? Who, who asked? I ain't got a clue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm as bad a manager as me, though. Beer. 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 Okay, we're going to. We're going to take final question. I mean, f- pause. I don't know if you got this, but I think Phil hates gingers. That's what I got from that. He doesn't like Lewis O'Brien. Uh, okay, I think he doesn't. No, I don't. <laughs> Phil. All right. No, it, I know he's right here. No, I, I was just going to say just I before we move on, I'm surprised no one mentioned um, a centre forward to come in oh, as yeah, well no, because I, I think. I think it's central midfielders, a left winger. Yeah, I think we need some. Uh, just coming back to the question of every time, I think a, a centre forward that gives us a little bit something different than what we've yeah, got. Maybe I, someone who can play on the shoulder. I, I think the centre forward. Behind. I think the centre forward it needs to be like an up and comer who maybe isn't going to start ahead of Warden Rhodes this season. Ishmael Miller, but who can push him? <laughs> yeah, he must I mean, be available. I mean, Hudlin's going to go through the B team, but he really would be something different. Six foot nine. <laughs> um, so yeah, I want to keep an eye on. Okay, final question. You've got the final question, so it better be a good one. It's a bit of both, really. Uh, about Lewis O'Brien, I'm probably going to reveal my age a bit here, but I think Lewis O'Brien is probably more in the mould of a Peter Hart, Mickey Kennedy, Steve Doll type of player rather than Brian Stanton. He's great as a defensive mid- midfielder that breaks up play and sets up attacks rather than a goal-scoring midfielder. Again, revealing my age. Um, but in terms of next season, are we going to have a... 92-93 season where we have a hell of a hangover from a playoff loss or, or are we going to have a 2011-2012 season kick on from a playoff defeat and hopefully get into the Premier League next season or maybe something in between I, I think to start off defensively I think they'll still be strong so they still have that, that to build on from uh, the defensive point of view and you keep clean sheets which we've, we've seen what can happen you nick goals you win games not always beautiful but the Lewis O'Brien thing I agree yes that is his role but when you, you're 12, 13 yards out you should be able to hit the target to make the goalkeeper work at least make him need to wear gloves when you're striking the ball at the goalkeeper so yeah fantastic still a professional footballer still should hit the back of the net in those positions more than he does 
But again, go back to your first first bit of it. I don't think it'll be a massive hangover. I think there'll still be clean sheets. I think they'll drive on again. But we'll see who they bring in to replace these players that may be going. I, I think if you're going to bring some of these kids through, you have to accept that they're not going to be ready straight away and you have to give them time. And that does show in your results a little bit. So I think there is an argument to... While you are defensively strong, like you say, and you know you town won't be in relegation trouble next year, you can have a season where you can look at some of these kids for a few games and bring them on and, and bring them in. And, you know, if you finish mid-table, so be it. But I can't see there being a hangover. And the reason I can't see there being a hangover because if you look at Carlos Corbran's first season, it was shit. If you look at his second season, it was absolutely brilliant because he changed and evolved and he will change and evolve again. He, he doesn't stand still. And he will know next season, if he sets up in the same way, that other teams are going to have the cheat codes and, and Town are going to get beaten. So he will be working on the next thing already. That's, that's his character. That's what he's like. So I, I think... I'm not sure they will be in third position and necessarily in the playoff final at the end of the season... But I'm comfortable saying that it will be, a, I think, a comfortable season in mid-table at the very least. I think only top two for me is good enough after uh, this <laughs> season. But, well, that's why 15,500 signed up. I think the key is going to be the Premier League loans. It got Forrest up. And we're going to have to be very patient for that because obviously you don't, they don't kind of exactly like right, squads. Yeah. For me, that, that's where the difference between Lusseal Town contenders or pretenders. And we might have to wait till the last minute. But if we get a Levi Cowell in again or a Smith Rowe up... You know, Tino were a different thing, but you know, for me, that is whether we're going to be challenging or not. For me, that I think you're spot on. I think it's all about the recruitment, and I think there is a flaw to them, as in a flaw FL double OR, like you know, on how far they'll drop. Um, but um, I think the interesting thing will be how they can evolve in attack without losing that defensive solidity. And I think there are ways they can do that. I wrote a piece about it that none of you's read um, <laughs> the other day. Um, it's one of you. <laughs> but about you know that they they are um, a team that they try and have the patient build up and they try and um, get on the ball and and get the, the the play moving slowly and build out from the back. But when you look at the number of chances they create off those long sequences and compare that with the other teams in the division that play that way, they're creating like a fraction of the chances that other teams are doing. It was like a third as many as Fulham did, half as many as Sheffield United and Swansea did, um, and about. 60% less than Bournemouth did so if they can find a way to make that happen and this I think goes back to the Lewis question I agree I think part of the reason the moves break down is because they don't have that player in the final third who plays that final killer ball because it's the one thing that Lewis can't do unfortunately and I think if they do get that player it could unlock a complete new dimension to, to, the, to the side Go on then Matt I think that's Sorry. it isn't it Brady so yeah um, yeah so I can see we're going to get kicked out any minute now, so we better wrap <laughs> Yeah, thank up, you so. to the bar staff as well for, yeah. like, fantastic Point tonight. With us, so. A late evening for them, thank you. And, uh, yeah, no, thanks to all you guys for coming today. I know it's uh, it's been a been a long one, but it wouldn't be a Takes That Chance podcast without it being a long one. So cheers to everyone for coming. Cheers to all the guys for listening to your questions and answering. And, and yeah, just um, thanks for all your support this season. It's been a good season, so we're happy to talk about it. Let's see what happens next season. Um, but yeah, no, cheers to all you guys for coming. Yeah, thank and, you for uh, coming. Brilliant. Yeah, thanks for all your support. And here's the next season of the town.
There's a team that is dear to its followers The colors are bright blue and white They're a team of renown They're the pride of the town And the game of football is their delight And all the while upon the field of play Thousands loudly cheer them on the way Often you can hear them say who can be the town today and then the bells will ring so merrily and every ghost shall be a memory so town play up and bring that cup back to others the town player will bring the cup back to Lads, what's your favourite 90th minute goal? Got to be Heffley against Leeds. A shot from Moy and sliding in at the death, Michael Heffley. Great finish to the game. Shared with my family, only made better by ordering McDonald's via muck delivery afterwards. Three points, nut nugget, share box, spot on. Order muck delivery now by the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <laughs> 